And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. As long as they keep on making animated Star Wars, Hope Molinax and Chris Honeywell will be on the case. Welcome to J-Guys and Jedi. A project that began with Clone Wars and now may never end. Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast covering every single freaking episode of Book of Boba Fett. In this episode, Boba faces new challenges on Tatooine in the past and the present. There will be... The Twins! Hot Wookiees, and Boba Fett riding like a bantha. We're talking about the Book of Boba Fett episode, Tribes of Tatooine, this week. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, too. I got my kitty in my lap. My baseball team's on mute behind me, because if we win tonight... Oh, guys, it's that time of year. It's time for Hope Baseball Podcast time. (laughs) You guys know how I am on this podcast when it comes to baseball. And if we win, we'll be the National League East champions. Isn't that right, my beautiful kitty? Yes, you're a beautiful girl. We're going to be the champions and beat the shit out of everybody, aren't we? I've got a, <laughs> I've got a chair against my door to keep my crazed critter out. The she's only back reason- on the string. She's back on the string again. We were throwing stuffed toys at her. And then I was like, oh, I wonder if she wants to play with the string. And boy, oh boy, does she want to play with the string. And now I got to, like, lock myself in my room or, or she's going to come in and aggressively try to lure me out to to wave a string at her. Listeners, the only reason my cat's with me is we could hear her meowing on the other side of my door and the recording was picking it up. I could hear her. Which is saying something, because I'm using my good microphone where... You shouldn't be able to hear her. That's how loud she was being. No, she just powered it right through the door. Yeah, well, she's 18 years old, and she knows what she likes. Don't you, Carmela? Aren't you a good girl? Yes, you are. You're a beautiful girl. So, hey, Chris. General thoughts. What were your thoughts on Andor Episode 4, the Mon Mothma return? I'm I'm digging the season. I, um... I... I'm I'm digging the whole uh, uh, just the behind the scenes of everything and just sort of um, especially the 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 empire. I'm I'm loving seeing the lower ranks of the empire and the bureaucracy. It's so rebels season one. Yeah, and there's like, and there's there's uh, it's and I'm like la- and I I love I love that I got a scene in a, in an antique store, which is like, that's where I'd be hanging out if I was in Coruscant. Everyone Although was joking. Heat, that was, that, a, that that was would... an antique store I wouldn't be able to shop at, obviously. Everyone was joking around that if Thrawn ever found that store, he would never leave and he would be unstoppable. Well, I ignored all the Easter eggs in there because they obviously went crazy with Easter eggs and they like yeah, really a... kind of over... They kind of, oh, he has too nice of a shop. That's all I'm going to say. He's There's got too nice of a couple uh, Rebels things in there because, um, do mm-hmm. you remember this, the, during the World Between Worlds episodes? Oh, yeah. Um, 
the stone tablet with the hands on it. That's why that's why I stopped it. But like this also takes place before that, too. So it's not the same from the same temple, I guess. And that was when I was like, you know what? I don't want to like there's too much like, you know, they were like, there's a holocron in there. There's two. There's, hol- a, and I'm like, um, there's a Twilight Calicori like Hera's in the background. Yeah, I don't like it's it's all that's cool, but I just I I just like it. I like I I love the scene of him putting his wig on. Yeah. Getting all wigged up and doing that doing a little move in front of the the mirror to get in character. And uh yeah, and Mon Mothma's husband is is cozying up to the fascists. Yeah. It's, it's all was... it's all kinds of it's all kinds of World War II. It's all kinds of World War II resistance movie type thing. And so, I got to say, this is the way this 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 is going to capture my imagination better than Rogue One because it has time to really dig into it, you know, and, and Rogue One did not have time to do. And Rogue One was a long movie, you know, for it was a couple hours. It was like a couple hours and change. But, you know, it had that it had that main. That's the I think the problem with Star Wars movies, you know, the hard not the problem that makes it hard to make good Star Wars movies is you don't have a lot of time to to tell a story. So you have to really pick and choose what you're going to put in there. This and uh, this one, this one TV's, can really flesh it out. This is why I always say that TV is the superior medium. Isn't that right, Carmela? Yes, TV is well, the superior medium. I I don't like I yeah I don't know I like a good Star Wars movie is gonna do more than a good Star Wars TV show but the Star Wars TV shows have had some moments that have come really close or whole episodes or whole you know couple of couple three episodes of Kenobi had me in full like theater theater Star Wars mode of like I'm absorbing new information now <laughs> you know yeah that sort of thing but. Yeah, but I mean, as far as story-wise and building characters, you know, I, I, I instead of putting it better, I would say that TV has the distinct advantage of it. It also has a distinct disadvantage of budget and time and and all that. But like a lot of times, that leads to creativity and experimentation. So, you know, and that's what Star Wars is going to need to go forward. It's going to need experimentation and to go in different directions. And Andor seems to be doing really well. It doesn't seem to have a a, a really like the the hatred towards it doesn't ha- seem to have a big head of steam to it. And uh, all the hatred I've seen towards it is the usual suspects. Like one of the Phantom Menace girls was just like i'm not watching andor because i can't understand anybody's accents and people's like bitch turn on subtitles yeah it's uh, yeah or or yeah yeah i mean i like i i want to pick on people for that but i've always been really good at like what like picking up like thick through thick accents being able to just like derive what people are saying from it right down to like if you ever get a chance, it's on YouTube. It's a Jimmy Cliff reggae movie called The Harder They Come. And it's completely, you know, filmed in Jamaica by Jamaicans in English, but in Jamaican English. 
And the first time I watched it as a high school kid, I was having a hard time with it. And I watched it last year and I'm like, I don't know why I had such pride. I can understand everything they're saying. But, you know, I think I'm a mutant that way. Yeah. But uh, I I don't think that the accents are that thick. I've seen some of the usual suspects. She's just just racist. Oh. That's her racist dog whistle. Oh. They come barking. Well, you know, most of the accents are pretty like white people accents, to tell you the right? truth. It's just chock full of British accents. It's just like yeah. it's it's the most British Star Wars there's ever been because it has so many Imperials in it. Yeah. And all the all the 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 like, you know, it seems like, you know, if you're going to be brass, you better have a British accent in the Empire. I, um... And I love how they have the different types of bureaucrats and everything. I love all that stuff. One thing that I found funny was uh, Tony Gilroy. And I want to say I can see where he where he's going with this. He said with writing Mon Mothma's character for the show, his inspiration was Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, no. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I was like, yeah. That's like Mon Mothma's entire art. I kind of hate nancy pelosi but they're the same type of politician because that's she's, essentially one month in the story she does everything in the senate that she can before she's just finally like well guess i'm leaving and i'm like yeah that's you're doing more harm than good just waiting around trying to do things with them and the she's also kind of she's also kind of like you know she's she's upper class and upper class people have more things to lose in a mm-hmm. in this sort of thing. And she has political power. She has she has more to lose. So that that's tied up in it too. Her own her own power and place. And at the same time, she'll get thrown in a cell too. Or killed. If, uh, or killed. I'm excited or, about or the possibility of Sly Moore coming to her dinner party and possibly like we know she won't die, but that's gonna that's something I'm really looking forward to is the possibility of Slymore's return, but they've set they've set up that 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 um, Mon Mothma is like a great aid to the the uh, rebellion, but at the same time she's holding it back at certain points too. You know, she yeah. she has she has lines that she's not going to go past that it, eventually she's going to have to go past which. She does eventually by the by Return of the Jedi. It seems like uh, <laughs> Hell Rebels is when she makes her official declaration. Yeah, so so it, it, it's it's going to be interesting. It, it takes away a little bit of the suspense of like, will Mon Mothma get off because she's not? She obviously is not going to. Um, but it's it's still it's a good. It's it's a good drama about like, you know, it, it, basically it could be it could be a drama about like, you know, the Hungarian resistance. And well, it would be like all, you know, all the all the you know, you'd the the it's an Axis versus Allies story. Yeah, um, I'm not going to go too much into my thoughts, only just because earlier this week. I was a guest on Rogue Fun Podcast with Alice White, and we discussed the entire episode. So if you want to hear my entire thoughts on 
the episode. Uh, we definitely went into a lot of details, but yeah, I and we'll I, go I into it when we cover Andor. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, I really like it. Um, I'm finally happy that we we have Mon Mothma. Bye, Candy. Are you about to yell at me? Are you going to go to the bed? <gasps> she's going to the bed. That means she's going to go to sleep. <laughs> Um, cool. I can now get closer to my microphone again. Um, but the thing about, uh, I really like, am finally happy that we have Mon Mothma because I wanted to see the opposite sides of thing. What? Well, I'm not going to sit on the bed with you. Well, then come back to my lap, you screamy asshole. Come here. Come back to the lap. Come on. I'm not going to sit in the bed with you. See, this is my own little tiny rebel. Uh, <laughs> That's why I didn't put my headphones back in, just in case. Um, you can use it but, to mop the sweat from your brow like a hoojib. Yeah. <laughs> but I am happy that we're getting kind of like the Imperial Senate side, because that's something that we haven't really seen a lot on screen. And I think it's really interesting, uh, the spy stuff around her, because compare it, compare Mon Mothma now to someone like Padme. During the Republic years... Padme handpicked all her handmaidens. She knew everybody around her. And compared to the Empire, she, Mon Mothma has no control of the people around her. Like, yeah, she's just, not a queen either, you know. Well, she Padme wasn't a queen um, when she was but a senator. But she's, you know, I mean, once you're a queen, you're, like, probably... No, you know, not, not, in, not in Star Wars universe. The queen is essentially the president and... Right, once, right. But once you're a president, you have like security details and, you know, she's a big deal on 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 her planet. You know what I mean? Yeah, but she's not the so, big deal in, in the Senate. She's just another senator. It, it's kind of like a weird thing of like how Star Wars politics work. But like it, it's an interesting dichotomy because like Mon Mothma had all that like ripped away from her and she really has no control of the people around her, which I find interesting. And I well, also find Luthen really interesting as a character, too, because I really don't know what his deal is. And I like that I don't know. Like, I have this wild conspiracy theory, and, and I wrote no, about this. No, you could so be right. I'm, I think I'm, I, I want to hear what it is, because I think I'm right there with you. I, I actually wrote about it earlier this week over on Dork Side of the Force. I think his kyber crystal is fake and some sort of spy device. Not to spy on Cassian, but to spy on Vel's team. Because why would he be like, Cassian, I'm going to give you this absolutely priceless thing as a down payment, and then ask for it twice back. You don't ask for down payments back. Why would you want it back? Because knowledge is way more important and costly to him. And when he's talking with Vel, he, he says up front he was going to cancel her mission, he also brings up the point that someone in her team will probably fold, which is why she needs Cassian. And I think he's trying to figure out the, if there's a mole on her team and he doesn't trust her. And Cassian's just the guy that has the kyber crystal planted on him. Now, he could be a bad guy, too. See, that's my conspiracy theory is oh, don't that, count him out. Don't count him out as a bad guy. Uh, yeah, potentially. It's, it's so hard to tell. And I like I that. tell of course, in this phase. And As and notice to... they're like we've only got three people in our circle in their main circle of trust, you know. And also, this we're recording two weeks. You know, we record ahead of time, so by the time this episode comes out, we'll probably know the answer. Tomorrow we'll know more. Yeah. So, hello, future people and future Hope and Chris. Now we know whether or not we were right or wrong. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I I really like the direction. So. 
I do understand. If he's a bad guy, we won't know about it for a couple seasons. That's my guess. Well, there's only two seasons, so yes, a couple. <laughs> right, right. We won't find out till the end, you know. But um, machination. I, I do like it, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, I I will say I agree with your criticism from last week about how the show might be better released in arcs, because episode four on its own, I really did feel your example of that it felt like watching the first act of a play and then leaving. So I hope season two, if they continue the arc format, that they'll definitely release the episodes and arcs going forward in season two. Like season one's set in stone. There's nothing we can do about it now, but I hope season two, they change that. So those are my thoughts. If you want to hear more, go check out Rogue Fun Podcast because I talked about episode four over there with Alice and we had a really good time doing it and talked about crazy conspiracy theories. Excellent. So, Chris, what do you think about the tribes of Tatooine? I I thought it was I thought it was very good. I I don't think it was as good as the first episode, but it's 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 very good. John Favreau knows how to set up a story. You know, he knows how to tell a story and how to put it together. I'm a fan of the flashbacks, so that's gonna you know. I like I like going back and forth. I think it's a strong thematic element, and I think it tells the story well. It's not random. A lot of times people do it randomly now because it's sort of a modern storytelling trend. I mean, it's been done before, since Citizen Kane, you know, and and probably even before that. But it, I like it. You know, I like that. I like that way of telling stories and he makes it so it makes sense you know he makes so what's going on in the presence has some sort of you know is is getting colored in a little bit by the past so i like it yeah this was interesting for me because i really loved this episode the first time i saw it and this is one of the few times where because usually like when i see an episode on my second viewing i like it even more this is one of the few times when knowing what happens actually dampened my emotions on it. Because in a vacuum, I love everything in this episode. I think it's groundbreaking with the Tuscans, and it's so cool, and there's like so much cool stuff going on. It does a lot of setup, but it also does a lot of setup, and I know where the story goes, and I very firmly disagree with the direction of killing the, tex- the Tuscans next week. I hate that choice. I think it's lazy. I think it's horrible writing. And so watching this episode, seeing all the setup of, wow, this is how the Tuscans die, it really changed my view on it. Which sucks, it, because I do really like this episode in a vacuum. I just don't... See, I, I don't think it's horrible writing, but I don't think they, like... Or maybe they haven't addressed it yet. But... It should have affected it. It should have affected Boba Fett differently. I think, think that it did. Well, and, 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 and that's where it's interesting because, from a writing and a structure standpoint, now, and I'll get more into this in my notes because I have an entire note addressing this. Ow! Don't bite my fingers. I have an entire uh, note addressing this from a writing and structure standpoint. I understand it. I understand how and why it's part of Boba's journey and why it's this is a stepping stone. I just it's, really, it's tragedy, but the tragedy needs to affect him. It does. 
and I will get to that. The my issue is the choice of killing the Tuscans. And I hate that choice. I think it's disgusting and lazy. And I hate it. And so I so this it's so weird because I really do love this episode. I really do. But it, it was interesting and we'll, we'll get into it. You you ready yeah, to get yeah, to yeah. it? Yeah, well, we're not going to get into the killing of the Tuscans as much because that's that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. but I am going to talk about a lot of the setup for next week. Um, That's in my notes. Yeah, yeah. I was going to start talking about what I think about the killing of the Tuscans, but then I'm like, why don't I just wait till we get to that episode? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, So this is going to be a little hard because I'm about two feet away from my laptop so let's do our best we can kitty i love you you're such a pest all right you ready i'm ready the tribes of tatooine is the second episode of book of boba fett it aired on january 5th oh bye kitty it aired on january 5th 2022 it was written by john favreau and directed by steph green some extra information for you what go to sleep (laughs) sorry i have some extra information for you Black Chrysanthemum is played by Carrie Jones. Jones is actually primarily a makeup and special effects artist. His works include Preacher, The Walking Dead, Watchmen, and the new interview with a vampire series, which I hear is really good, and I can't wait to watch it. it. What? I've heard good things about it so far. Yeah, I've heard really good things about that, about it too, and I, I plan to hopefully watch it at some point this week. What? Like Cobb Vance, Black Chrysanthemum follows the trend of bringing book and comic book characters into live action in Star Wars, as he has been a prominent comic book character in Dr. Aphra and Darth Vader. Give me a second, I'm having issues with my chair. Oh, I'm just a mess tonight, Chris, it's fine. The Nightwind Assassin is played by Paul Darnell, who was also the stunt actor for Cobb Vance. This City Hall clerk is played by Galen Howard. His other works include Smosh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mayor Mock Chase is performed by puppeteer John Rosengrant, who also worked on The Mandalorian, and he is voiced by series producer and director Robert Rodriguez. The Pike leader on the train is played by Halford Hissing. His other works include Silicon Valley and doing stunts for Ready Player One and Everything, Everywhere, and All at Once. Cammy is played by Mandy Kowalski. She is a stunt actor and coordinator that has worked on movies like Captain America Winter Soldier, the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, and A League of Their Own. Fixer is played by Skylar Bible. His other works include Victorious, Dahmer, and The Wolf of Snow Hollow. So, Fixer and Cammy are two characters from the deleted scenes of A New Hope. There were several minutes of the film involving Luke Skywalker actually spending time at Tashi Station with his friends, which included both Fixer and Carrie. Or, sorry, Carney. Cammy. Her name is Cammy. Third time's a charm. Although those scenes were not used in the final film release, they still appear in the novelization of the film, as well as the first issue of the, the Marvel Star Wars comic adaptation of A New Hope. They were also in the 1981 Star Wars radio drama. They made a few more appearances in various stories and source books, but those were removed and put into the extended universe. However, their backstories were partially canalized in the Topps app Star Wars, Tra- Star Wars Car Trader, which released in 2015. This is Fixer's first official canon appearance under Disney. Cammy appeared in the expanded edition of The Last Jedi novelization. In the novelization, Luke has a dream that he was married to Cammy, and they were still moisture farmers on Tatooine. 
While the huts have been prominent in animation, the twins are the first appearance of live-action hunts since the prequels in Jabba the Hutt. For the creation of the twins, according to Ming-Na Wen, cardboard cutouts were used on set to represent the huts that would eventually be realized through computer-generated imagery. J.J. Dashnall, the body double for Tamara Morrison, provided the dialogue for the twins during filming. Trees were one of the rarest resources. Rare, nah, nah, nah. Trees were one of the rarest resources on Tatooine. The specific trees used in their ceremonies by the Tuscans were the wartwood tree to make their gaffy sticks. Tamora Morrison brought in his Maori culture into Book of Boba Fett. The gaffy stick is based on real Maori weapons, and he was a consultant on the gaffy stick used in Book of Boba Fett to be closer to what he was used to in his own culture. This actually was all part of the this was actually all developed as part of The Mandalorian, which has now come over to Book of Boba Fett. The reason I didn't mention this until the, till today, instead of bringing it up during The Mandalorian, was I found out about it today. That's the very detailed explanation. Also, Boba's fighting stuff. Eventually, we're going to get an, we, could, we could possibly get a nice like ethnography book about the Tuscan Raiders just on the sheer amount of research and you know, work they put into this. Oh, yeah, because even then, like, the sign language um, was fully developed, too. Like, there's a lot yeah. of interesting stuff that I would like to read about. Yeah, you could make, do you remember those books? They were they were called Gnomes. There was one called Gnomes. It was a huge hit, and there was one called Fairies, and they were sort of a book as if, you know, like a, you know, a national, well, they were a little more fanciful, but you, you could probably do, like, a National Geographic-style Tuscan Raider book interesting those sound kind of familiar so i i think i've seen them before but they also sound kind yeah, of vague they but... were they were in the 70s and early er, around like 1980 i think or like 77 78 when they came out so it's a long time ago you know when you remember something from your childhood but it's kind of vague and you only have like a br- sort of a concept of it it's kind of where my brain is right now um and back to boba fett Boba's fighting style in both shows was also based on the Maori haka. One of the most, and finally, one of the most popular pieces of dialogue from the entire series that went viral after this episode was Boba telling the Tuscans to ride the bikes like a bantha. Tamora Morrison revealed at Star Wars Celebration that originally uh, that line was said as a joke and was completely improvised by him. The creators left it in and the meme was born. Tamora also joked that he was relieved because he hated how long it took to sign a man making his way through the galaxy and loved writing like a bantha because it was so much faster. You know, yeah. he's also faster and likes to ride banthas? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, Yoda. I didn't have a segue. Yeah. Some, I can't, you know, they all can't be winners. How are you? That's true. Mm, definitely not a winner. Good. Yoda's good. Yeah, how's therapy? Okay. That Except wasn't very... therapist is very nosy. Very nosy. That, Yoda was what... not told therapist would be so nosy. That's the point of therapy. know things about Yoda. Yeah. yeah, that's the point of therapy. Yoda asks the questions. Well, sometimes Yoda answers the questions. 
maybe if 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 therapist wants questions answered should write into the show maybe then then yoda would rather answer the questions lay on couch yoda get comfortable yoda tell me about mama 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 yoda no this isn't boding well diego because we have a question from diego luna which is oh question for yoda yeah so diego luna diego lemos I have, I have Andor on the brain. I'm sorry, Diego. Uh, from Diego Lemos. And it is perfect because it is all about therapy. And you're going to therapy, but your opening made me go a little scared about this question. Anyway, here we go. So from Diego Lemos. In the book, From a Certain Point of View, The Empire Strikes Back, Obi-Wan mentions that he has to act as essentially a therapist to mediate between the more Skywalker part of Luke and you... Yoda during Luke's training. So what were these Skywalker parts of Luke? And how was that therapy session? Did Obi-Wan make you two hug each other at the end of every session? No hug. No hug. You didn't hug Luke? No. Why? Bad enough Yoda had to write on it smelly. Skywalker smell. Oof. One of the things. Skywalkers also. Also. Cheaters. Always cheating, lying, liars, um, whiners, cry, cry, cry. Skywalkers over there, but Yoda called them crywalkers. Well, he was also they worried were about. Crying. He was also worried about his friends dying on Cloud City. Oh, uh, worry, 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 worry. No faith in the Force. Oh, my friends. Oh, my friends. Be a true Jedi. Leather up. <laughs> I will give you Smelly. Happens, because... shit does. <laughs> I will definitely give you Smelly because I doubt there's a lot of deodorant on Dagobah. Oh. Oh, cover. Just cover smell with mud and moss. Though, now that I think about it, I don't think Grogu complained about Luke being smelly when he wrote on Luke's back. Grogu can't talk. Grogu can't talk. If Grogu could talk, he would complain all the time. Oh, Grogu is hungry. Give Grogu food. Oh, so hungry. He does talk. He's an actor, just like you. He he knows his lines. Just like me, Yoda, actor. You should see Grogu do Hamlet. It'll bring a tear to your eye. It was so good. I bet. Yeah, he was so good as... He gave David Tennant a run for his money. He was so good as Hamlet. Uh, Have you ever done Shakespeare, Yoda? No. Oh, yeah, you... Yoda just... Yoda just does not want to do, do Shakespeare. You know, I, I totally get that. I am not a fan of Shakespeare myself. I have always struggled with it, and so I actually totally get that, Yoda. I totally feel you on that one. I I will 100% agree. Goofy plays. Mm. Wow. Yoda only acts in serious dramas. Serious dramas. Like what, Dear Evan Hansen? Yoda did not see in Holiday Special, did you? No. Where was Yoda? Nowhere near that stinkeroonie. Nope. I'm laughing at my own theater joke. It's fine. I'm sorry, Yoda. <laughs> well, I hope you're... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I made a jab at Dear Evan Hansen, and I made myself laugh. 
Anyway, uh, Yoda, thank you. Go enjoy your therapy. Yeah, and, therapy. And next time, hug Luke. I'm sure he wants it and hugs. <laughs> Actually, I doubt Luke wants hugs. I right doubt now. it. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Duh, uh, in Yoda's defense. I guess you gotta try to be nice, I guess. In Yoda's defense, when Grogu is on Luke's back, like, Luke is, like, full Jedi mode, so you know he has, like, deodorant on, but, like, he is a grungy teenage boy who is probably smelly in a swamp, so I don't, I don't blame Yoda for Luke being a little... And Yoda's on top of him, like, as the the smell just rises up and rises and envelops him, surrounds him, binds him. Oof. Oof. I was like, I've been around my nephews and they're in puberty. Oof. Ooh, ooh. That's a that's a stank. <laughs> yeah. That is a stank. Anyway, oh, you ready to get into this? Yeah, we we've talked enough about Pubo Stank. <laughs> that's a that's a band name though, right there. Pubo Stank. Pubo Stank. It's all the chil- it's all the children of Huba Stank. <laughs> <laughs> One of the shittiest band names ever, ever. That was a good one, Chris. Good job. Thank you. So, Act One. It's a low bar. Act One. I'm ready. <clears throat> we open following last week because Finnick had to go after an assassin because an assassin tried to kill Boba and she has captured said, said assassin and she is bringing the assassin back to her wonderful boyfriend and she kicks him in the door and she's like Boba look what I found and he's like oh my god you're the best girlfriend ever and she's like are you feeling better baby after your back to tank bath and he was like the only thing that would have made my back to tank bath better is if you were in it and she was like oh my god Boba and the assassin's like can I just die now what is happening so they interrogate the droid, or the droid. They interrogate the assassin, and he absolutely refuses to talk, and he even curses Boba. And so Matt Berry droid is just like, hey, I wish I could do a Matt Berry impression. I cannot. He's just like, this is my baby boy from the night assassins, my the night wind assassins, my sweet child, my... Ch- cherry on my ice cream and he is here and like Finnick is not impressed that's the best I can ever get to doing close enough to doing a Laszlo impression from what we do in the shadows I just cannot do a map very, very impression at all um but the night when Sessions like I'm not gonna talk to you and Finnick's like oh these guys really suck I'm the best in the business and Boba's like that's right dear now drop him into the Rancor pen she's like okay and the dude's like what Rancor pet and they drop him into the pit, and he starts panicking because the doors are opening, and they're rising slowly. And he's just like, oh my god, don't let the Rancor eat me! Uh, it was the mayor! I was sent by the mayor! Uh. And the joke's on him, because there is no Rancor. And like, Boba and Finnick like, shoot him little finger guns, and they're like, let's go see the mayor. So the best thing ever happens, because they get to the mayor's office, in, in the Moss whatever town. And they bring the assassin with them. And it's just like pure comedy gold because Boba fucking Fett, King of Tatooine, walks in and the desk clerk looks him in the face and goes, Do you have an appointment? <laughs> and I love it. It's my favorite. The desk clerk who looks every bit like, like the guy at the front desk of your auto mechanic shop. You know, he just, it's just some dude. He's just, 
he's just like a little dude, like a little chubby dude with a mustache. It's in in a in a bad uniform with a bad haircut. It's amazing. I love it. Also, for anybody who has seen the show, before I even looked up who the actor was, I was like, yes, this guy absolutely played a Boyle on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and I was right. He was one of the Boyles. And if you've seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you know exactly what that means. Anyway, um, this guy looks at Boba Fett, and he clearly does not get paid enough for this bullshit. But that's okay, because... The best character of the show, the Major Domo, kicks open the door and he's just like, Hello! Hello! And he like shoves the clerk out of the way and he's like, Hello, wonderful Boba and, and Consort Finnick. We're so happy to see you. Um, but we, the mayor's out today and he can't be here. And like Boba has like learned enough about this bullshit that he just walks around the corner and like just lets himself into the mayor's room. And the mayor is just like, Who the fuck are you? But was like, you know exactly who I am. He's like, oh yeah, I do. Major Domo, get this man his reward for returning this assassin who's violating his parole or whatever. There was, it was weird. I don't know. And they throw some money at Boba, and Boba's like, what the fuck, dude? I'm not a bounty hunter. I am the check my notes ruler of fucking Tatooine. And the mayor's like, sure you are. That's cute. You're playing ruler. And Boba's like. Yeah! And then they exchange some, like, passive-aggressive tit-for-tats, and the assassin gets shot. And finally, the mayor's like, look, it was probably Garza. She's too fabulous, so therefore she must be shady. She has secrets in her leku. Um, and first of all, you asshole, Garza is amazing. How dare you, Mr. Mayor? How fucking dare you? She's just living her best life. So Boba and Finnick look at each other, and they're like, I guess we'll go to Garza's now. So they go over to my love, Garza, with all my beautiful Twi'leks, and I adore them, and I want to live here at all times. And they walk in, and Garza's like, hi, Mr. Boba, what are you doing here with your lovely girlfriend? Hi, Finnick. And they're like, hi. So we were sitting here by the mayor. Do you know what that means? And she's like, oh my god, you didn't hear the gossip? They're like, no, what gossip? We live in the middle of the fucking desert, and I've been taking a nap for 60 minutes. What happened? Apparently, the twins, a.k.a. Jabba the Hutt's cousins, who are probably very incestual, <laughs> you can just kind of tell, um, they've laid claim, laid claim to Boba's entire territory. And Boba's like, what do you mean they laid claim to my territory? I own this territory. And Gress is like... Sorry, Buttercup. Sounds like they're coming. And right on cue, there's some drums in the distance. And here comes the twins on an actual litter. And Finnick just stares at Boba like, they have a litter? Why don't you have a litter, Boba? Boba's like, ah, oh, shit. Watch my back, girlfriend. And he's and she's like, I got you. I will watch your hot ass for you. So Boba walks up there. The twins roll up with their little litter carried by slaves and they have this little southern belle thing going on and the girl is like fanning herself because I do declare that damn old Boba Fett has seemed to taken over Tatooine and they take out their little mouse rag and the little mouse is like kill me now and they're like well hello Ho Boba hujib rag hujib. I keep forgetting it's called a hujib and the little hujib is just like kill me now and the twin is like, well, I do declare, Boba Fett, it seems that you have moved into our territory. And 
you know, we've been nice enough, but I think it's time for a nice gentleman like you to get on out of here. And Boba's like, oh. No. And they're like, what do you mean, no? And he's like, no, I, I live here. I, I rule Tatooine. You're, you're on my territory. What are you going to do about it? Kill me? And they're like, well, we can certainly make that happen. And out rolls the hottest fucking Wookiee ever. Why? Get, like, who gave them to, the right to make Black Cursantan so goddamn hot? Like, oh my god! He comes out and it's, it's the eyes. Like, it's the eyes. Like, total, absolute props to to Carrie Jones. It's the sleek, healthy fur, too. Let's not uh, let, talk about, let's not, you know, look over the the, oh. the sleek coat. And the muscles. Like, Carrie Jones acts the fuck out of this Wookiee. And it's the eyes. They're so expressive. Like, good job acting. He rolls out there kind of looks Bob up and down he's like sup and Bob's like oh Black Chrysanthemum we have definitely worked together before in the comics hey friend I know what you're capable of but I am not phased huts you can't phase me with this and they're like well I'll tell you what bloodshed is really bad for business so we're just gonna mosey on out of here and we're definitely gonna decide this later on bubble fan we're gonna have ourselves a quick little who jib drool up and we'll see you next episode or the episode after that hope doesn't actually remember when those dang old twins come back but that's fine because they roll on out of there <laughs> and Finnick comes up and she's like huh that went well we didn't die. Good job. And Boba's like, do you think it's settled? And then they look at each other and they have a good sitcom laugh. They point at the crowd because of course it's not settled. But then we have to pause here because it's time for Boba Fett to take a nap. What'd you think of Act 1? Well, I might be getting in trouble here, but you know what the ladies of Star Wars say? What? I'm scared. What? Once you go Black Chrysanthemum, you don't go back them. I will. I, I, I know. I, I said this, I think, at the very end of last week's episode. So if you're a person that bounds at, like bounces out after when we start talking about where people can find us, I'm going to say this again. <laughs> so the wonderful M from Pink Milk talking about when they were covering Book of Football with that. So the absolute funniest thing, and it sticks with me. And she said that Black Chrysanthemum could massacre her lady garden. And that's exactly Lordy. how I feel. He could absolutely massacre my lady garden. And I would be fine Lord. with that. Good lord. He's like a master botanist. Master gardener. <laughs> master botanist. Are you saying that he's that? All right. Bad joke. I just thought of the bad joke. I'll get to my serious, serious notes. The I, I hear they've learned a new song on tattooing. That was nice. <laughs> yep. Um, the assassin guy. He did like. Once he opens his mouth, he doesn't strike me as someone who he's like. His vibe is somewhere between the major domo, and like, your your Amazon driver. <laughs> Or something, you know, he doesn't seem like a skilled assassin, which I think is the point that that 
that they're quite overrated. You know, they're they're maybe like the Amazon of uh, assassins. Yeah, because especially with Finnick, like Finnick is not impressed with the dude. She does, yeah, she does, she does. Well, I mean, they, they, I mean, this guy, this guy was okay with having his head cut off by Fennec, but he, he didn't want to die by a rancor, which, I mean, you know, as far as the two things go, rancors finish you off pretty quick too, you know. So either way, it's a you know it seems like you would be more steeled for death, but it's a fun scene though. I'm not; it's actually not a complaint of mine. But his his vibe, his that, vibe like, is he, weird. Maybe it's one of the things that he feels like he could take. He could probably take like he he felt comfortable taking the Gamorians or maybe even Finnick, but he's like, I can't take a Rancor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, she had the sword up to his throat, and he was just like, Yeah, whatever. Cut my head off. I'm not going to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I kind of like, uh, I kind of like, uh, I kind of like that this, this show is just totally like the edges of it are totally populated by people who are just sort of like schlubby, you know? Yeah. That, that, that he isn't like, yeah, I, maybe it's me and I expected, you know, more of a, like, you know, somebody with a little cad bait, you know, is like. I'll never tell you anything, you know, or something, you know, some t- yeah. more of a tough guy stereotype or something. I don't know. And um, while, while we're on the topic, I also love the bluff of the Rancor and there is no Rancor. Like, that's smart. Yeah. That was really yeah. fun. It's it's working with your low budget. <laughs> I'm but not even also, I'm talking about I'm not talking about the, the, the show's low budget. I'm talking about I'm talking about Boba Fett's low budget tattooing. He doesn't have a rancor yet, but he's but the, in that, in that he's got the so whole pit and the setup. Yeah, he's got the whole pit and the setup. So, you know, you got a good uh, you got a good amount of drama before your bluff, you know, dissipates to break somebody with the, you know, and word's not going to get out because the, the R.I.P. Uh, R.I.P. Assassin dude. But that's, but, that's um, essentially what it is, is that, like, it shows how smart Boba is working with the knowledge. Because he, he has watched people get dropped into the Rancor pit. Like, he knows what it's yeah. was there for. Yeah. And it's this, like, everybody on Tatooine knows there's a Rancor when there's not. And so it's just such a smart move on his part to, like, show Boba's ingenuity in that scene. Um, I... Remember the first time through, I got really excited about the Hujibs. I still wish they developed that they made Hujibs characters. Some people might complain, but Hujibs are pretty fucking awesome. And like, as Scott Gardner and I and another devoted Hujibs fan, the uh, what is it like the insufferable, the indecipherable shag or whatever he is, whatever whatever shag name he has is also a big Hujibs fan and and they are awesome they're intelligent and they speak they can speak to you psychically in inside your head and to me they have the voice of Roddy McDowell from the Planet of the Apes movies or from as the robot in the black hole but they're they're very friendly I, they they also had powers to do other things too. They had some other sort of psychic power to do it, but they were you know, basically little bunny rabbits. And uh, it would have been great to have the a Hujib character, you know, 
like approaching people and being like, you know, do you think you could get me off world? <laughs> I like that after the twins, like, da- like he dapped himself with it. He just throws it. <laughs> he doesn't even keep it. Like, I like, put it back in this cage. He just chucks it off to the side. I'm like, go live your best life, little dude. Oh, yeah. Well, he just dropped it because it bit him. Oh, to me, it looked like he tossed it, like just kind of oh, no, side. It like, bit he, his, he's, like, it, he's talking with Boba Fett and he just casually tossed it. That's what it looked like to me. I didn't realize well, you it see, bit him. You, you see, since I spotted it as a huja because it had the little, it has a little antenna, sort of poof bally antenna on the, uh, on top. I was watching it like a hawk and freeze framing it and stuff. And yeah, and they, they, they definitely had it, um, um, bite his, you know, he's, he's doing it and just bites his hand. And he like, ah, and it lets him go. And he, and he scampers off because he's a hooja, but he's smart. He also knows. Yeah. Better get out of here. Although they, he, they come from like a, fo- a forest planet. So, Tattooing's not going to be very uh, friendly to a hoojib. I just, I just wish the hoojib showed up. My only other note is these are the best, uh, best looking. I, I have in my notes the best CGI huts ever, but I think they're the best huts ever. Period. They're the best depict, like the coolest depiction at, of huts. CGI is that it's is more advanced than any other huts have been made cgi the ones in you know the ones in the cartoons are stylized but as a realistic uh hut these are the best ones they look like an illustration out of you know a ralph Macquarie illustration they're just gorgeous they they totally work there's no wonk while they're i'm sure in 10 years the we'll be seeing some wonk to them but they look just they look great and they they really did a good job of in just their short scene um get, giving both of their personalities and just you know just broad just the broadest strokes that you need and it's a hut anyway so they're not like you know they're 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 total just rich you know and um oh what's the word i'm looking for People who who just they 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 like they like the finer things in life. Yes. <laughs> and they love indul they love indulging themselves, you know. So they're just like corrupt, you know, rich royalty type people. They're like the Harkonnens in Dune. They're just like you know, you know, eating you know eating grapes and and turkey legs and visiting the brothel and just general generally being slimy and fun loving <laughs> I, I also they're, love oh sorry go ahead their 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 whole their lit their litter they're just straining under their weight is just one of the great star wars images ever you know it's just classic yeah, and the first I- You know, maybe I enjoyed it more the first time because the the sort of arresting stuff that happened in this was really cool the first time. And I knew it was coming this time, you know, and I didn't have that moment of like, oh, my God, look at this. (laughs) You know, I knew it was coming. So that might have. But yeah, those those huts are fucking cool. 
Yeah, like I I have a couple notes about them. Like Well, that's the, all I got so we can uh we can use we can do the old hut transition, the old hut handoff. Yeah, like I I absolutely agree. Like I love these huts. Um I wrote you can absolutely feel that they're Zero the Hut's cousins because he had yes. that like they feel what they feel more Zero the Hut than Jabba to me. And yes. I like that because it does have that kind of or like even like Mama the Hut. Like they feel very in that vein versus Jabba. And I, I really like that because it feels like more of a connection to Clone Wars. Um and you're right, they look great. But I also love the litter and how it's a thing. Like when because yeah. last week Finnick and Garza were both like, dude, you didn't need a litter. And this week the major domo was like, I'm sorry, we didn't hear your litter. We would have prepared for you if we heard your litter. And like so like for two weeks now, everybody has been like, the litter is a thing. And then you see Yeah, the because litter. you can't sneak up on the I would encourage the litter too, because you can't sneak up on them with a Boba Fett's just like, boom, I'm in your office, you know? Yeah. Whoa. They they want so they want the whole town's like oh Boba Fett's coming he's headed south <laughs> you know yeah and that's and it's that's, a prestige thing you know and and people go like I don't know the huts were here they look like they were kind of wimpy huts but see that litter <laughs> yeah but that's that's the whole point of it that. like it has an impact when you hear the drums like from a fucking far away you're like oh my god yeah. what's coming and then they turn the corner and see the impact and how much street space it takes up and the people holding him and like uh holding them and like uh the slaves and everything like it has an impact and you can see why everybody's like boba get a litter like it's important because they walk in and you can tell they have all this like perceived power we don't actually know how much power these two have we really don't but they give off the air of power because of the litter and i i love that it's both a running joke but you also see the effect it has on the street because everybody's like get the fuck out of the way yeah get out of the way and don't make eye contact (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah so, so these are kind of in the same vein. At first I wrote, I love the Trandoshans because I do. I love that makeup. And then I further down wrote, aliens, aliens, aliens. All the aliens in my live action Star Wars. Thank you, Book of Boba Fett. And like, because I, I always want more aliens in Star Wars. And Book of Boba Fett is just so visually pleasing in this way. Like I think having... Robert, I think that's Robert Rodriguez. I think Robert Rodriguez probably loves the aliens too. And was just like, he loves aliens and goofy character actors so it's like even and the humans are not all just like you know like plugged in actor looking people you know and star wars has always had nerdy lumpy people populating the real world which is one of the reasons it felt more realistic and this one's full of that you know yeah but like this episode alone has twi'leks and huts and tuscans and trandoshans and um my brain just stopped at the uh, Thorians and Pikes. Like there's like there's six different species just right there, and it's so visually pleasing. Like I love it. It feels like resistance. Yeah. It doesn't feel boring. Like I I love Obi Wan, but there's only really one episode that has like an area with a bunch of aliens outside of, and then the rest of the episode. Well, Tatooine are... doesn't really have many natives to it. You know, I mean, who are the natives? The, the are the Tuscans. Tuscans. 
and there's barely any of them left. And the, and even like like animal life there is sparse. So tattooing is completely just made up of just off planet, you know. I was gonna say people, but you know, yeah, off planet life coming on They're there. Sentience. So it should it should be everything, you know. It, it should always be like more concentrated than like. You know, the only other place it would be like that, that diversely concentrated would be like Coruscant or something, you know? Yeah. But it would be in a different way. This is, this is probably even more so because it's more just down to earth, you know, probably legit trading and, and shady trading. And it's just, and everybody, yeah, everybody and every kind ends up there. So it, it makes sense for the show and I'm glad they ran with it because yeah it's 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 great it's like a whole bunch of action you know sometimes even the like the animation being animated you know you would think they would you know and and even then sometimes there wouldn't be enough aliens you know exactly Uh, like resistance until we got to resistance resistance really had like a good concept but it was a very similar situation you know it was a gas station yeah um, I forgot what I was going to say before you started talking. Um, Sorry. Oh, I was talking. I was talking about Obi Wan um, because I think it's the second episode when they're in the city. Like that's really where the most aliens are. But when you get later on in the show, like when they're hunkered down with like the people of the path, there are one family of aliens, and the rest of them are humans, and it's so yeah. boring to look at. <laughs> like it's so yeah. boring. Um, and I, that's one of the things I'm kind of interested in. It's less immersive. What? It's less immersive. Exactly. And, like, that's one of the things I'm kind of interested in getting into the back half of Boba Fett. Because I do remember getting into the back half. Outside of C- Cad Bane and Black Chrysanthemum, the only other alien I actually remember is the Weequay um, from Freetown fighting with everybody. And I was like, where is everybody else? So I'm, I'm interested if I'm misremembering that because right now, like, Bogo Boba Fett is like so visually stunning. Um, but I remember it feeling very small in the back half. So we'll see how I feel about that. Um, I blame Brian from Pink Milk because the Gamorrean guards are hot and he's obsessed with them. <laughs> feel better, Brian. Um, they what? they look like kids on the high school wrestling team is what they look like to me. They're it's maybe it's their outfits or something, but I don't so, know. Their thighs are so muscular. Oh Jesus! So are their arms like Jesus? Huh. So one of my favorite things in Star Wars is big, powerful characters who have a lot of clout. They're very important people. With big powerful thighs. No, 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 not in this case. Um, but like very like legacy characters who are very important people and they get stuck in bureaucratic red tape bullshit. I love it. Boba Fett, the king of Tatooine, feared bounty hunter, gets looked at by a clerk and asks if he has an appointment and asks like that's just it's comedy gold that someone can look at Boba Fett and go, do you have an appointment? Well, you need to make an appointment. Like, that dude does not get paid enough for this. He's just doing his job. And I love that Boba Fett, like, doesn't take it out on him either. He's just like, dude, I know you're just doing your job. But come on, I'm I'm fucking Boba Fett. (laughs) Everybody's testing his reaction. And so, like, he's just like, everything's a big show, you know? So, you know, so 
and and he does what he sh- you know if 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 they played the comedy too much and had him playing along with it for too long it would have been really dumb but they they did they it was it was perfect exactly but it's because that, that's the thing like the major domo knows what the fuck is up like he comes out of there so fast like a store manager on retail at retail day like he comes out of there so fast and he's there to bullshit him but i love that the yeah. clerk probably genuinely does not know who this is is just doing his job and he's just like sir you're gonna need to take a number (laughs) like i love stuff like that i love it i need more of it like i need a scene where darth vader walks in and they're like darth excuse me sir do you have an appointment he's like i'm darth vader and they're like i don't know what that is do you have an appointment (laughs) like i need a scene like that only that person would die because darth vader would choke them yeah that's not gonna go well in this this era of darth vader yeah 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 (laughs) But still, um, so I talk about the mayor. Um, I think the mayor is. It's very much in the vein of everybody is testing Boba, because the major domo walks in and is clearly like, "This is Boba Fett. He's the daimyo. He's in charge." And the mayor treats Boba like a bounty hunter. He's like, "Here's your payment. Get out." And I love that because because let's just put it this way. Let's let's just put it in the mayor's shoes, uh, and and put it in in a modern America's shoes. Dog the bounty hunter has now walked into the mayor's office and says, "Oh yeah, I'm the major, you know, Diamo here," and he, and he's just like, "Dog, dog the bounty hunter." <laughs> it would be like I, dog I, the bounty I think hunter. Boba Fett is like at that level of fame in bounty hunter world. You know, it's just be like, like if dog the bounty hunter was suddenly the president. He's like, hi. Yes. Don't speak that, Hope. <laughs> Don't speak that evil. Do not bring that into, into, the, into the realm of reality, Hope. <laughs> I'm sorry. If that I'm happens, edit that out, and then I'm going to take that edited part and I'm going to bury it in salt in my backyard. <laughs> I'm sorry. Five years later, J Guys and Jedi. Hope, why did you have to say that? <laughs> I'm drunk. The bounty hunters in every Star Wars episode by presidential decree. I'm gonna knock on all the wood. Knock on the wood. Knock on the wood. Let's gonna wish that bad Jojo Mojo away. That bad bad Mojo Jojo. Mojo Jojo. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I like that we're continuing it to um to test him. But I will say one thing about the mayor: he is a tool, and he's a dick, and he's an asshole. But he did offer one piece of like one thing about the show he is essentially giving boba the thesis of what book of boba fett is because he says the line running a family is more complicated than bounty hunting and that is the plot of book of boba fett um the whole point of the story is boba is opening up more to others while reevaluating his own past and looking at his own place in the galaxy and the whole point of this is he's not alone anymore. Like, yes, we know that he's worked on teams, but he hasn't had people in his life that he gives a shit about. He is finally starting to have people that he gives a shit about. He meets more people over the course of the show, like the mods and like the other people at Tatooine, and he starts caring about them, which is makes it more complicated feelings and are complicated they're messy things and part of loving people and giving a shit about them means it's hard and he's building that over the course of the show 
And he realizes that there are things that he wants to protect outside of himself. So I did like that line when the mayor says running a family is more complicated than bounty hunting. Because that is very much the, the- one of the themes of the show. Yeah. I think Boba Fett's aware of that, but he's going to learn. He learns it throughout the show. Yeah, like he kind of like under he he gets to yeah. as Megan would say English major it. Oh, I just had a I just had a thought about that. Yeah, hit me. He's he he learns to he he learns he he's he learned a lot from the Tuscans, but I he's also trying to learn how to. How how to how it, it's uh, with the Tuscans it sort of sets it up to maybe that could happen to the whole town you know it could be a tragic end to him trying to be Daimo of 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 Moss whatever of Tatooine <laughs> but you know so so it sets up sets sets him up to possibly fail at the end of the the show unless he learns a lesson how to prevent. You know, uh, destroying his destroying his his empire while trying to capture it. You know, and it also in a, um, what was I about to say? Um, yeah, it does set on about how to to possibly fail, but it also forces him to change. Um, yeah, because if he continues the way that he has been doing, it will all fall apart. He has to change. If he doesn't change, then he'll die, and everybody will die around him, and then he loses his power, and that's the end of it. Like, there's no story then. So, in words I wrote, be still my heart, Black Kersantan. Yeah, we know. That's the note. Um, And the other thing I wanted to talk about was, this is another week where the title was very good. Um, Because last week, the title had a double meeting, and this is another one. So, of course, the tribe of Tatooine is very much referring to the the Tuscans. But it's also referring to the political families of the planets, too. Uh, uh, Yeah, everybody else in this story. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because you have the Huts, the Mares, you have Garza. Um, we're gonna learn. We we meet the Pikes in this episode, and they're all like we we like the the Trandoshans have their own group as well. Like they're all battling it out at, in like their own yep. kind of separate tribes, and so it's it's just another really good like double meaning title, and I really like it. So, but that's all I have for Act One. Do you have anything else? I'm ready for Act Two. Kitty, are you still asleep? Yeah, she's still asleep over there. Graves, are you still winning? Yes, we're still winning. Chris, Chris, we're gonna clinch the East tonight. All right, all is wood. all is good. All is good going into Act Two. Except for my fucking goddamn chair. Oh my god! You know those mats that people put on their their carpeted floor so you can yes. roll your chair. Yes. I have worn holes in mine, so every time I get stuck in a hole, and then I have to actually move my chair to get out of the hole, so I can actually scoot up to my microphone. All right. Ugh, I need to get a new mat. Here we go. You ready for Act 2? Let's do it. Act 2. So, Bubba's napping, which means one thing. It's time for a flashback. That's the flashback sound. (laughs) So, Bubba, after, you know, killing the uh, Rehari House monster last week, is now part of the Tuscan tribe. And he's kind of hanging out with them. And we see the warrior, and the warrior's like, I'm gonna show you how to use a gap stick. And she, uh, like, kind of is, like, showing him how to fight and stuff like that, and he's getting frustrated. But no one has time for that, because 
off in the distance. There's this rumbling sound. And then the Tuscans are like, oh god, it's coming! And they start scattering and like hiding their children and like getting like grabbing guns and like getting all prepared and getting ready to fight. And Boba's just standing there like, what's happening? Does someone want to tell me what's happening? What's going on? And then it turns out it's a big fucking train. And the train is like going across the, the wilderness really fast. And just for shits and giggles, it starts shooting at the Tuscans because apparently that's fun for them. And it invades in their it invades their lands and it's shooting at them. And Boba's like, "Oh God, it's shooting at us! Oh, I'm gonna hide." And he takes cover behind a dead Bantha. And all the Tuscans are like shooting back and they're fighting. And like there's a lot of pew pews until the train passes and the Tuscans come out and they check their injured and they mourn their dead. And Boba's just standing there like. That motherfucking train just killed some of my friends. What the fuck? And he is pissed. Especially that night, because that night, it is a night of mourning. The Tuscans are putting together their dead, and they're burning burning them on funeral pyres. And Baba is just is helping them out and, like, helping with the dead. And while he gets a drink off on his own, in the distance, he sees the Swoop gang, the little biker gang, pass by off in the distance and he stops and he's just like oh i have a bitchin idea and he goes over to the warrior and he's like warrior i have a bitchin idea we're gonna stop the train and she's like what now with what army like what are you talking about he's like trust me i'm gonna stop the train and she's like she looks at the chief and is like chief do you do you hear this and he's like yeah what the fuck are you talking about he's like i just i gotta go I'll be back by morning. And they're like, all right, crazy dude, have fun. See you, don't die in the desert, bye. Boba's like, bye everyone. And he runs away. And we go to fan service town, AKA Tashi Station. And we're at Tashi Station. And there are two characters from A New Hope named Cammy and Fixer. And they're like, we're gonna get drinks and be here and be here for cameos, hooray. And we see the swoop game come in and they're like, look at those cameos over there. Let's bully them. And so the Swoop game gang goes over and they start eating Kami and, Fi- and Fixer's chips and Fixer's just like, This is wrong! I have a whole line to tell you how bad you are! And the Swoop game's like, Oh, that's cute! And then they start beating the crap out of them and Kami's like, No! Leave him alone! I think that's her exact dialogue with about that much passion put into it. And she's like, Stop it! Leave him alone! And then the, the Swoop game's like, Haha, look how evil we are! We hope no one comes in and opens the door. And then the door opens, and it's Boba Fett! And he's there to get a drink and kick some ass. He's all out of his drink. So he walks in, and the Swoop Gang's like, Who the hell are you? And he's like, I'm here to steal your bikes. And he beats them all up, and the Swoop Gang's like, Ah, my face! And he kicks them, and one even gets a nut shot. And I was like, yeah, it's always fun when there's nut shots in Star Wars. That's always fun. Um, and we also see that he is getting really good at his gaffy stick skills. So good job, Boba, for practicing. And so after he beats up all this, the, the swoop gang and saves the two A New Hope people, he takes his little drink and walks out and steals their bikes, or at least three of them. So he rides all the way back to the Tuscans and he's like, hello, Tuscans. And the chief and the Tuscans are just like, oh, cool. What's that? He's like, these are our present! And the Tuscans are like, awesome! And they immediately start taking part, apart the bikes, and Boba's like, don't, 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 don't take them apart, they're mine, they're mine! And they're like, you said it was a gift. Once you give a gift, you can't reclaim the gift. These are ours now. And he's like, no, 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 we're gonna use these to beat the train. 
Everyone's like, huh, how are we going to do that? And Boba's like, this is how we're going to beat the train. It's called a montage. And then we get a montage of them, of all the Tuscans, not all of them, some of the Tuscans learning how to ride the speeders like a panther. <laughs> I love that line. Um, and they start forming a plan, too, because they have a plan. And even the chief gets to ride on one of the lessons, and it's a lot of fun. And... Yeah, so we get a cool montage, and it's one of my favorite parts of the episode. So, as we're, after all the montageness, uh, we get a nice rematch between the warrior and Boba. And she again bests him, and she pins him down on his back. He kind of looks up at her, and he's like, huh, this exact scene feels like it's going to be really important in the finale. When I fight someone who might be a bit of a cad, and he Maybe that person is the bane of my existence. Oh, we, we should put a pin in the scene. But it is slightly different because unlike last time she kicked his ass, she actually helps Boba up to show that she has some respect for him and that's growing. But oh no, no one has time for, for respect because the train is here and it's time to start the mission. And all the, the Tuscans and Boba get on their bikers and the little Tuscan kid like runs up to like signal the people. And they all move out. It's all really exciting because the train is just like, we're barreling through here. Hope no one comes. And the pikes are like, we're having a lovely day on our train. Time to shoot some Tuscans. But they open their windows and holy shit, there's the Tuscans jumping on their train and throwing pikes out of the train. And the little boy like messages the other, like with a mirror, the other Tuscans, and they're sniping the pikes from afar. And it's really awesome. And Boba Fett jumps up there and he's like, let's go. And the pikes are exploding and it's all crazy. And the pikes are like, holy shit, what is happening? And a fight breaks out. And it, as it looks like it's going bad, the fucking warrior, my god, I love her, flies out of nowhere and starts wrecking shit like the queen she is and just throwing pikes left and right and almost single-handedly takes the train all by herself. During all this, there's a little construction, a uh, con construction, conductor droid, and the conductor droid is like, oh god, this is bad, and Boba kicks in the door and he's like, what's up, bitch, and the conductor droid literally throws himself out the window, which is so relatable, and I love it, <laughs> just chucks himself, like, yeet, right out the window, and Boba's like, uh-oh, the train's going really fast, and all my friends are about to die, we should probably stop this thing, so he finds the brake, and he uses his new little handy-dandy practice gaffy stick, and starts, and uses the brake and pushes it down, and the train comes skidding to a not gentle stop, but enough to where no one else dies, and they stop the train, and the Tuscans and Boba are successful! Hooray! And I'm gonna stop it here, because there's only like 12 minutes left in the episode, and my kitty is awake! Hello! Yeah, there, the, 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 the train probably should have wrecked up a lot more than that, but that's okay. Just yeah. judging by the speed, the insane speed. My kitty's on my lap, too. I'm going to free her right fast. Give me one second. Hi! Free the kitty. Come here. Wish my kitty would free herself. Why don't you go you free go? yourself? You're free. Oh, You're free to go. Goodbye. Go to the animal. You're free to, you completely free to go. Uh, yeah, the train should have been probably way more... Sorry, I'm making a lot of noise. Oh, my fucking chair! 
I'm gonna throw this man out. Um, at this point, I'll just take a hole. <laughs> Sorry. Um, let me restart that note so you can edit all that out. Yeah, the train should have been like way more destroyed, but I'm okay with that. Oh, I'm not editing that any of that out. I was talking to my cat too. We had just like a little cat break. The rest of the our audience appreciates cat breaks. They probably have they're probably taking cat breaks and halfway through the show. Or yeah. or throughout the show. Um I, I think the idea of a speeder train is a great idea. We've had sort of similar things in in Rebels, but the just a f- free of streets or just something that just travels along, you know, surreptitiously through the desert is is a great idea. Although I think, like the Tuscans are not very, you know, as as far as being like, you know. Uh, good with the desert and stuff they don't know much about taking cover because they really like they they get they they just get destroyed by these guys when they could just hide under the behind the dunes you know and uh they just leave their poor banthas right out in the open (laughs) do you remember trying to move the bantha in the marshall episode like the if the bantha doesn't move it's not moving yeah that's true but also they're trying to defend their land so yeah, so but shoot, and then, shoot and then get down, you know? It, yeah. yeah, but anyway, um, uh, I, I think the train's my, a great idea. You want to hear my uh, hot take? Sure. Here's my hot take. This train heist sequence thing is better than the one in Solo. Oh, I, oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. My hot oh, yeah. Take. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have... Like the one in Solo is just that's a th- one of my complaints about Solo is it's just sort of plot device and plot device. It doesn't have that feel like you're naturally being propelled through a Star Wars story as you as fate unfolds and the story unfolds. You're just sort of rolling through it. And in this one, you know, there's a re you know the there's a reason for why they're attacking the train and everything. It's built up to it, you know. Mm-hmm. There's and a character drive behind it. It's filmed a lot more excitingly. They, and this is this is I mean this whole this whole act is just all filled with with catnip for Chris because it's got one I I hate training montages. I hate them. And this is like I a love great them. training montage. This I is love a very, them. <laughs> it's Tamura Morrison. He really they they it doesn't fall for most training montages a uh, the the only other training montage i like is an army of darkness and it's a parody of a you know you know the the guy teaching all the hoo ha ho with the stick and everything but this one looks like this really has the feel like like i think it's a lot of tamura morrison's physical acting because he looked, I think he looked at that speeder bike and thought, and, and I'm sure there's actually like somebody telling him this does this and this is this, this is a choke button, you know, thing here. And, but he really looks like somebody teaching somebody how to do something, you know, mm-hmm. and they, they, they do a, a little bit of the comedy Pratt falls of it, but they do it in a way that it would be the real comedy Pratt falls of somebody trying to learn something. It's not overly broad and it, it, it works really well and 
it just so love... anything with speeder bikes looks really cool too so and the like a bantha line is actually really funny and really good like i'm glad I, they yeah, kept that in there yeah and, and and when they when they attack the train a they're using mad max george miller techniques of you know a lot of that is taking place on stationary you know sets and stuff but they're moving the camera in a certain way and they just it it you get the feel you know it it's propulsive you know and it's it's fun and it's the the way things happen are unfold and and it's a different you know every every the further along they get it's a different thing happening and it and it just it just flows right along and then we get to my I, final before note. We, before we move too far away, because I want to talk about the training montage and slide this in here. Have we ever had a driving lesson scene in Star Wars? I can't remember one. No. And I think that's why it's so funny and interesting, because I can't actually remember a scene. Like, like in Rebels, have we, we had know that. flashbacks in Star Wars before? We have had flashbacks. Um, how, we had flashbacks in Clone Wars. Um, oh, and, yeah. And and I think in Rebels, I'm wanting to say, but like like for example, we know that Hera taught Ezra how to fly, but we never saw the lesson, and and that's why I really liked that scene because it did kind of feel fresh, of taking yeah. something mundane like driving lessons, but making it really funny and interesting, and I I really appreciated that. Yeah. All right. What's your next line? Sorry, I, before my, we my got final, too far my away. Final from note montage, is my favorite my favorite part of this whole episode and this part is that goddamn conductor droid. He For just throws himself out the window! Alright, alright. Robert Rodriguez did not... And I, I bet you a lot of people are going to get this. They're going to be like, Seth Green directed this? No, it's Steph Green. Steph Green. But that, that, that whole sequence, and especially the conductor droid, felt like it felt like robert rodriguez mixed with um oh uh what's his name sam raimi you know it <laughs> that that the, the way that robot was so at home in its world this is this is star wars right here when they cut into that robot into the thing he's panicking but he's doing it not in an over in in an over the top way but in like this guy, like this, this conductor robot knows his shit inside there. He knows how to adjust every little thing to navigate this thing. And he's, you know, he's pulling all his tricks and he's got multiple arms and it's edited frantically and he's moving frantically. And it's just, it's just wonderful. You, you, you know, you, you feel like you've just jumped into somebody else's, you know, that that's his life is inside that, that little box conducting, you know, and then when he leaps out and hits the ground rolls and then out come his spider legs, he's just like, yeah, I'm out of here. Just like Grievous. Mwah. Mwah. Timed like it's timed and edited like music. And it's a whole, it's like, all of a sudden, if it was a symphony, symphony, just this little musical side theme would show up for that segment. And you don't, you didn't have to have it in there. It didn't have to be in there, but it made it so much better to have it in there, you know, and you'll never see that guy again, you know, probably it, it's, it's, 
Star Wars hundred just through and through. It's wonderful, wonderful. One of my favorite things of the whole series. I just love that it just chucks itself out the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh no, that yeah. He has a whole protocol to go through, and finally, when it's like at the end, he's like, "I'm not getting killed over this," you know. Mm-hmm. That's all I got for Act Two. I really liked Act Two. Act Two is my favorite, favorite one of all three acts. Yeah. Um, a- so, if you guys would bear with me, um, if if Hope had more hindsight and actually like didn't have Book of Bubba Fett sneak up on her, um, I really wanted somebody. I, I guess for this episode, and I just lost track of time and didn't have time to set one up. Um, and I wanted to get a perspective that wasn't mine and Chris's um, and get somebody who is Native American to talk about these episodes. Um, and so I did some digging and I found a wonderful Twitter thread by Jordan Mason. He is the editor-in-chief at Cinelinks and he wrote this like really awesome thread about Native American um, inspiration in Star Wars. And I wanted just to read a little bit of it because it's a perspective that's not mine and Chris's. Um, and what's f- interesting about this is he wrote this about three, four years before Book of Boba Fett came out. Um, but I just thought it was interesting to kind of give some perspective. And if it's, are you cool if I read a little bit of that? Sure. And um, Jordan is Native American. Um, I don't know what tribe he's part of off the top of my head. But uh, I I just really appreciated this insight that wasn't mine and Chris's. So So this is Jordan Mason of Centrelinks. Star Wars and Native American culture actually goes hand in hand pretty well, even if the creators never realized they were using it. When you are talking about lore and mythology, ignoring Native Americans is virtually impossible. If you think of Greek and Roman lore, if you think Greek and Roman lore is vast, try checking out some Native American stuff. I argue that it's just as deep, if not more so. While many tribes share similar stories, each tribe features their own set of mythological characters, creatures, and stories as well. It's a lot. Many don't think about it that way, but this tends to happen when a government systematically tries to eradicate a civilization. But I digress. There is a wealth and lore of Star Wars that uh, there's a wealth of culture and lore that Star Wars can pull from and has before that I think would make uh, make the galaxy a far, far away even better. Let's talk about the past in Star Wars first. You think Nomi uh, Sunrider is an Anglo-sounding name? Nope. In fact, a bunch of stuff from the old Tales of the Jedi series has some serious Native American vibes in it. This isn't surprising considering that the idea behind these stories were to showcase more quote-unquote wild and prim- primitive time period for the Jedi in Star Wars. Typically, when you're looking for old Wild West vibes, Native Americans present a distinctive visual look for that. Perhaps the most direct representation of Native Americans in Star Wars so far is the uh, Nelvanians from the first Clone Wars animated series, which is the Tartakovsky series. Um, They featured heavily in the third season, spanning four episodes of the story. While their appearance was more on the stereotypical side of things, it didn't feel appropriative either. More relevant. I was in college when these episodes released, and I thought they were super neat to see. Hell, even Anakin, this is the part that reminded me of Boba Fett. 
Hell, even Anakin goes on a damn vision quest in these episodes, giving him a glimpse into the future while spurring him to fight for those being oppressed. That was very Boba Fett (laughs) when I read that. Star Wars has cherry-picked various Native American things here and there to integrate, but in many ways, the representation is still done in much of the same way as anything else in general in pop culture. Generally speaking, what's presented in the most romanticized version of the Native Americans is the quote-unquote noble savage. It's used in a way to showcase something more primitive, rather than highlighting the more badass aspects of the culture. That's why I really love Emphis Ness and Solo, and I will fight tooth and nail of anyone who says that Native culture isn't a crucial aspect of her character and story. Look at her. I, she w- And he shares some photos of his own tribe compared to Emphis's costume. She wouldn't look out of place at the powwow arena in the least. She'd fit right in. These pictures are actually from my own tribes and features my uncles, and they actually look very similar. Not to mention the entirety of Emphis's arc and the story she tells at the end and solo is pretty much a solid parable for Native Americans and how they, how they have been perceived. Han, and thus the audience, are led to believe Emphis and her crew are nothing more than vicious marauders or, quote-unquote, savages. When these confrontations finally come, we learn that they serve a different, more noble purpose. The story of her indigenous people being forced out, slaughtered, and oppressed in the empire, aka imperialism, resonated strongly, strongly with me as a Native American. Their plight as, as the underdog against the vast and technological superior empire not only speaks to the overall themes of Star Wars in general, but the history of Native Amer- Americans as well. So that part also stuck out to me because later in Act 3... Boba has that conversation with the chief and he's like, you should be ruling your planet. And the chief says, you know, uh, the off-worlders have better technology. And Boba now says, you have technology now as well. So that just uh, that tweet just reminded me of that conversation that they had as well, just to kind of give a different perspective. Emphis mentions how her helmet was passed down from her mother and Native Americans have long have a long history of passing down important objects. Where they start off as familiar connections, they turn into powerful symbols of their entire tribe. History is a major factor for Native Americans, and many tribes' beliefs center around the idea that objects, being helmets, feathers, weapons, etc., contain the past in a very real way. By wearing said objects, they take their entire, they take their entire ancestry with them, bringing along the guidance and strength who, of those who came before Talk about uh, talk to just about any tribe elder, and they'll tell you that the loss and destruction of artifacts was more heartbreaking than them losing their land. Which is one of the reasons why I've been really digging the newer canon Mandalorians. Their entire culture is based around their history and being stronger together. Just look at everything surrounding the Darksaber. While Mandos are multicultural and should be in that way, the tenets of their culture in Star Wars has strong Native American influences. They are very tribal in nature, with each a clan representing their own ideal and beliefs. Sometimes they clash and they war with one another, but other times they band together for for the good of the quote-unquote nation and decry those who don't, like Death Watch. I'd love to see future Star Wars projects continue to take things into account. I need an Emphis Nest story. Uh, uh, just him gushing. More than anything, I want to continue seeing Native American culture presented in Star Wars in a way that doesn't relate to them just showing the quote-unquote primitive or untamed. So I, I liked the perspective because it actually kind of highlighted some of the well, points of the episode. I, I think if you're from almost like and like anywhere in the world, anywhere where there's a, a, a indigenous people, you know, like um, 
um, Alaska or Australia or New Zealand or Central America, you you run into very similar themes. And I think like I think I, I think the Tuscans originally like George, George Lucas probably just envisioned them as like maybe like natives that were in the Sahara or something like that, but he didn't really, you know, put too much thought into it, you know, as broad strokes. And now with, with, with Mando and Book of Boba Fett, they've sort of woven like, you know, there's a lot of native American in there, but it's probably from all over the place, you know? And, and, like most of most of it before this was like in mostly in their design you know in any kind of lore that would have come up in like a book or something but it movie wise it was just like you know the gaffy stick is based on a bunch of different weapons and stuff so they did research to make the design of the tuscan raiders so it would look like an indigenous person to a planet so they had to like draw but I think now with the way they're being presented in and it probably could be critiqued as but it's you know, you're building a fake, you know, an imaginary, you know, society and an imaginary story. So they they, they seem to be combining a lot of like different things from different indigenous cultures and then also just sort of some common themes like the vision, like a vision quest. And in this case, it's almost more Central American with the uh, with the inclusion of like, you know, a psychedelic drug. And and uh, it's almost I, I actually have a note that it's, um, you know, very similar to the the teachings of Don Juan book, which was Native American with, with the with the lizard, you know, guiding you to that. So, yeah, I think they're 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 taking from all over the place but definitely heavy on on the uh, Amer you know native american culture for 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 mandalorian and book of boba fett yeah um something that i need to make a note of now um is that i would love to look up um jordan's perspective on next week because i i remember seeing some of them and he was also very upset with the tuscans being um killed off so um, I'm going to type that into my, my notes right now. Oh, oh, God, I forgot one of my notes. And, and, yeah, go ahead. And, and uh, did you spot the uh, Spaceballs reference? No, I didn't. The Tuscan kids were combing the desert. I, t I, I did see that, and I took that as them looking for the water pods. They were, <laughs> but they were combing the desert. They I were. was watching them. I'm like, look at them. They're combing the desert. That's definitely space balls right there. Mm -hmm. But I, I just wanted to read a little bit because I have, that's not mine or Chris's perspective at all. So um, it was just nice to have like kind of a, a nice outside perspective on this. That wasn't us. Um, did you have any more notes? Nope, that's it. All right, I'm going to get all my tiny notes out of the way because my last note is about the setup for next week. Um, I love the spiky doggos. <laughs> I love them. And, it, like, there's just one scene in particular while it's it's while the warrior and Boba are training 
the kids are just watching with their dogs and one of the dogs just like lifts his foot and just kind of starts scratching at himself and i was like they're dogs i love them oh my god um i i love the trope of after boba has beaten up the swoop gang the bartender just starts wiping up the glass like it's another tuesday night on tatooine i just love that trope it's one of my favorites you gotta wipe up the glass sometime. You might as well get started. Yeah. Uh, the train heist is really awesome. Um, I can't really let, add anything else. And here's my last of my tiny notes. I'm not going to lie. For a while there, I absolutely shipped Boba and the Warrior. They would have some bitch sex. <laughs> they set it up like maybe, yeah. But, you know, yeah. Mm. It's Star mm. Wars. They would have some bitch sex. Um, and I and I just love all the work with the Tuscans. Like we see their kids with their dogs, how they mourn their wit rituals. It's just like really great. And I like the little thing too of Boba working to learn their language because that shows growth in his character as well. That he's like working to communicate with them as well too. Well, um, he's born again. He got born from the the Sarlacc, and now he's yeah. Um. So here are my three big notes. Uh, one is just wild speculation. There's no context in the story of this, but it was just me kind of like English majoring this a little bit and thinking about okay. it. Um, I got to thinking about Boba being a clone and why he decides to stay with the Tuscans and help them. Um, because look, in Clone Wars, we know for a fact he does not give a shit about the other clones. Like he has no feelings of brotherhood with them. Yeah. But it doesn't change the fact that he's a clone and he shares their face. And he's been considered a second-class citizen for a chunk of his life. We saw how Bo-Katan reacted to Boba and not treating him as a full Mando despite him being a foundling. And we also I, know I, how the clones were cast aside in the Obi-Wan Kenobi show and how they're yeah, simply being... Yeah, I was just going to say, the Obi-Wan Kenobi show was the best illustration of that they ever did with just a little cameo. And, and not just that, but also in Bad Batch, a prominent theme of Bad Batch is the clones are being replaced and they're becoming second-class citizens. So I, I like that there's kind of, and this is the English major side of this, and I don't know why I keep saying that. I'm not an English major. Um, uh, there's kind of like this under, unspoken read books, underlying... So. What? You do read books, so... Yeah. Uh, but there's kind of like this unspoken story about Boba relating to the Tuscans, who were pushed out of their homelands, like how the clones were pushed out of their own roles, and they're all kind of second-class citizens. So I, I do wonder if like that's kind of an element too, like Bubba kind of understands of like what it's like to be treated like a second-class citizen, and that's why he kind of relates to the Tuscans. That's me just kind of reading into it. I, there's nothing really to support that context, but I, I it got me thinking about it a little bit. It's um, his first crack at a true family. Yeah, yeah. Ever since his dad died. Um, and even yeah, then, but you saw how that goes in his in his flashbacks. Dad was kind of an absent dad. Looks yeah, like. the best version of Django, Boba, and Zam was Indy Stevenson's fan comic of the three of them. And Nate Stevenson did an amazing job. And I wish that was the canon version of Boba, Django, and Zam because <laughs> I love that comic. Um, anyway, uh. My next big note is kind of on how the cameos and Easter eggs have been handled. Sometimes I think it's very easy for like cameos and Easter eggs to be a little bit ham fisted in there. Like R2 and, and um, C3PO in the second episode of Rebels don't really do anything. <laughs> They're just kind of there as like the guest cameos there. 
Um, and then there's the two guys from the cantina scene in Rogue One that are just kind of like there and then they're gone. Um, but I like how they handle Cammy and Fixer. And I also, this goes for also Black Kersantan, Cobb Vanth, and later Cad Bane. Because if you know who these characters are, then that's a cool cameo. But the general audience, like, I didn't know who Cammy and Fixer was. I'd never seen those deleted scenes. I don't give a fuck. So, like, but, like, in the context of the story, they work, they play their roles. And yeah. same thing with Black Kersantan. He walks in, and all you need to know is he's a badass. If you know it's Black Kersantan, that's cool. But when you see him, you're like, no, that's just a badass Wookiee who's going to... Yeah, it, does, it doesn't up. matter if you know. Like, I mean, Cammy and Fixer, I mean, even if you're, a, like, a, just a regular Star Wars fan who's seen all the movies, they're from a deleted scene. Exactly. You know? And and like you know you know more about them from because they're mentioned in the comics and in the comic adaptation and stuff like that. But if you're a super Star Wars fan, you also notice that they made them look very pretty much exactly right down to the bad seventies haircuts. Yeah, you know on, so- on on Fixer, but it's it doesn't matter because they don't they and and they don't do the thing where it would have where they would have fucked up with it, where they would have bit, like really tried to like, Hey, Hey, look, this is an Easter egg. They didn't, they, it's just there. Exactly. It's just there and happening. And, and that's how I like my Easter eggs, just sort of there and happening. And, and that makes sense with those two characters to see them, you know, it doesn't, it's not like the, the two guys from the cantina and rogue one, you exactly. know, one of, the, one of the only false notes in rogue, rogue one, you know, because Cad Bane's the same. Like, of course, we know who Cad Bane is. Cad Bane's my favorite bounty hunter. I love him. Um, but, like, if you didn't know who Cad Bane is, when he just comes out of the desert, all you need to know is he is a bad dude and he shoots Cad Vanth. And I think Cad dude. Bane's better in this, if you don't know, in, the, in live action, if you didn't know who he was. Because if you know who he was, you, like, want more of him. You know, exactly. and if you don't know yeah. who he was, he's just a character, shows up, he does his part, and, and, it's, and, it's, and he's really cool, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly, because, like, the thing is, like, that's a good point, because knowing Cad Bane means, you know that him and Boba have history, and he has history with Jango. Yeah, and there's a lot of baggage there that I do kind of wish was touched on in the show, but it wasn't, but it's probably best, it's it's best that it was Right, 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 he, it served the purpose of the story in the show, yeah. Um, and I like seeing this pattern continuing in Andor, too, to, to give like a little nod to yeah. Andor. Andor's doing the exact same thing. Like, if yeah. you know stuff, cool, but it's not relying on its Easter eggs, and I really like that. Yes. Um, uh, okay, here's my biggest note, and my let me get through it first, because it's long, and I need to explain the points of it, because, whoo, okay, here we go. Let's talk about the entire Swoop Game subplot. Not just for this episode, but for, like, the series. But this is the episode that sets it all up. The thing I hate most about Boba Fett, and I've already mentioned this at the top of the show, is the Massacre of the Tuscans. Because I just find it very lazy, poor writing, and it drives me nuts. Here's the, here's the counter of that, too. I understand the structure of what's happening, writing-wise. Um, it's setting up a lot of character beats for Boba with future episodes. Boba, in this episode, attacks the Swoop Gang first, and he steals their bikes. Later, the Tuscans and Boba, the Tuscans are, well, sorry, later the Tuscans are killed, and Boba thinks it's the Swoop Gang getting revenge on the Tuscans because they took the bikes. So he, in turn, get re- gets revenge on the Swoop Gang in a few episodes and kills a bunch of them. 
It's only until much later that he finds out it was not the Swoop Gang. It was the Pikes. So even though the Swoop Gang does suck and they are bad guys, Boba, in turn, killed a, pu- a bunch of people in cold revenge for absolutely no reason. See, this... I, th- I was under the impression that the Swoop Gang did kill them, but the hi- the Huts hired them to kill them. It was no, the Huts that said because it was Cad Bane who killed them. Ah, Cad Bane kills them, not the not the Swoop Gang, and Cad Bane staged it to look like the Swoop Gang. Uh, I had to, I actually had to go back and re- to look that up because it's I've only seen the final episode once and I couldn't remember, so I read through that. It was Cad Bane that killed them, and in the Pikes. So what happens here? So I understand the structure of what's happening because what it is, it, it's setting up the character, the ending of Boba's character arc because there he is standing with Cad Bane and Boba used to be like Cad Bane. He used to be that kind of person. And the whole point of all this red herring swoop gang bullshit is to show that Boba Fett is not that person anymore and he has changed for the better. Um, And it's all a big red herring for the Pikes. They were, and, and 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 it is a big red herring because when they capture the train, it's full of Pikes. And the Pikes are the one who are like, oh, the Tuscans are a problem now. Let's go back to our leader so we can tell our leader about it and our leader can retaliate and we'll blame it on the swoop gang. So it's it's a lot of the political bullshit that we've already been talking about, a.k.a. the tribes of Tatooine, because the Pikes are like, we'll blame it on the swoop gang. The swoop gang goes down. And it's a lot of that politics. So like structurally and writing wise, I get it. I understand why they're doing this, why it's part of Boba's character journey and why it's a red herring for the Pikes. Do I love it? No, (laughs) I hate it. I hate it all. And I hate that what happens to the Tuscans. And I think it's stupid. And I and I, I will get more into that next week. But from from a writing and structure standpoint, I understand the story that's happening, why it's here, and why it's why it functions. So in that way, it is very good writing because it is part of Boba's character journey. It is setting up the plot and what's gonna happen later on, and it does set up other reveals. That's my note. <laughs> Do I like it? No, but I understand it. You talk. <laughs> um, I don't want to go too much into it because we're gonna hit a lot of it next week. But I'm, I, I, I agree with the. It, it, it could have been written better. I just think, um, in a different way. You know, I think the 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 the, the effect it had on Boba Fett. Even it, no matter who it was who really killed them, it doesn't to me. It doesn't matter who is behind who killed the Tuscans. To Boba Fett, it should be Boba Fett uh, because he sort of he because he sort of Tuscans. Yes, to Boba Fett inside Boba Fett, he he's the one who drew them into that. It was his idea. To be like we attack, like the, you know, this is what we'll do. We'll attack this thing, you know, or you know, and and whatever. He ran them afoul of them, and he sort of like he was sort of like I'm surprised there wasn't more tension between him and the leaders of the Tuscan tribe because he was like, hey, I have an idea. Let's do something. I'm gonna organ, you know, 
once once he he really he really like got into it and like and they were like yeah this guy's great and we like this guy and like yeah we'll take down the train oh look he's got us tools to take down the train and, and we've won this big victory and and the end if they hadn't done that they'd all still be around you know so that's what that's i that's the part that i felt was unaddressed in this whole thing is that like that that should have really been kind of a, a like a spirit killer for boba fett because it would be like you know i i just got this whole family i'm thought i was you know mixing in with them and i just got them all killed you know that's 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 how i i i felt there should have been some grappling with that and i maybe he is internally but it doesn't show in the in the the show and it doesn't show in the story as much as it should have but that's what i thought that's that's what i like the mystery of who who did it is 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 okay as a as a story element but in the end it doesn't matter because like for one the swoop gang were garbage probably murderers you know marauders anyway so all right no big loss in star wars world you know life's cheap but and 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 you know between the pikes and and, and and all that the pikes are scumbags too so anything that like boba fett you know so if all of a sudden he finds out oh, it's a pipe pikes and not the swoop games oh revenge on the pikes too you know it's fine it's fine but like it, he, he even when he's getting revenge there should be an undercurrent of responsibility with him because he was the one who hatched up the whole plan Mm-hmm. And he could have come up with some different way to deal with it or just let them be, you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> they were doing okay before him. And, you know, so I, that's that's how I think it went wrong. I tentatively agree with you, only just because I need to rewatch the later episodes because I don't really remember them. Yes, me too. But I tentatively agree because the scene that, to me, where that occurs is later on in the slave one when he's killing the swoop gang when he exacts his revenge on the swoop gang that to me is that scene but i agree in my memory i feel like it could have been better and more emotional like 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 getting revenge on their death to is is something that might be in the moment satisfying to him but it would be like oh okay that didn't fix (laughs) my nagging guilt about this you know exactly um, but yeah, so I very tentatively agree with you, just only because I need to see the later episodes because I really don't remember the Because I'm like, if series. you're gonna go that dark, you might as well go with the, you know, the, 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 you know, consequences of it going that dark. Exactly. Story also, wise. update everybody, uh, the Braves won the National League East, and I'm a happy little baseball fan. Woo, I can see them popping champagne behind me. Woohoo! Um, and I'll get. I have more on this in Act Three too, so we'll get to it. Anyway, Act Three. I'm ready for it. Let's uh, wrap this this desert dog up oh, no, no, no. into a desert corn dog. Let's wrap them up in in corn cornmeal and make them a desert corn dog. I love the doggos. They're so cute. Um, Act Three. So, hooray, the Tuscans have stopped the train, and it's all beat up, and now they're looting it, and they're having the best time. And they also gather up all the pikes. And 
Boba is sitting there and he's just like, hi, I'm the king now. Which one of you pikes are the leaders? And one of the pikes like, hi, I'm the leader. Are you going to kill us? And Boba's like, we'll see. Are you carrying spice? And the guy like plays dumb. He's like, I don't know what a spice is. Do you mean pepper or salt? We have a lovely like cast full, like, like cast full of paprika. Do you like paprika? And, and <laughs> Boba's like, you know what I'm talking about. He's like, no, what does spice look like? And then the Tuscans literally dump out a box of spice. And Boba's like, like that. That's spice. Look at that. Uh, so you should know that this land belongs to the Tuscans. You can't use it anymore. And if you are going to come through here, you need to pay them a toll because they have ancestral claim to the Dune Seed. And the Pikes are like, what? <laughs> What are you talking about? Like, we use this. This is our area. And Boba's like, mm -mm, mm -mm, not anymore. And if you come after them and die, guess what? Your death will return to you in tenfolds. That is foreshadowing for later on in the show. And the Pikes are like, okay, so are you killing us now? And then Boba is like, no, I'm not killing you. Instead, you're going to go back to your boss and tell them exactly who killed them, and it's going to be fine until next week, okay? And the Pikes are like, okay, bye-bye. And they all walk away. And Boba's like, that's going to go well. And the warrior's like, are you sure about that? And he's like, yeah, it'll be fine. Nothing horrible will happen next week, I swear. And the warrior's like, uh-huh, you just told our enemy who destroyed them gonna go great anyway that night everyone is having a good old time and boba's sitting with the chief and they're and the chief is like hey i'm gonna tell you our entire history so tatooine used to have oceans and then they dried up and this is exactly why hope kept confusing it with tob1 from star wars visions <laughs> because i was like oh yeah it has trees does it really i don't actually know anyway so they're having a chat and boba's like Dude, you own the desert now. You should take it back. And the chief's like, uh-huh, it's not that easy. Anyway, I have a present for you. And Boba's like, oh my god, a present? I haven't had a present so long. What is it? I would love a present. And he brings out a little cage and he opens it up and it's a lizard. And even Boba has that reaction. He's just like, oh, it's a lizard. Thank you. I don't know what it eats, but I will take care of it. And the chief's like, nah, you don't need to take care of it. You just need to, need to let it do this. And the lizard jumps on Boba's face and literally crawls up his fucking nose. And it's so gross, but I love it. It's very weirdly Star Wars and I adore it. And immediately, with the lizard up his nose, everything starts turning trippy for Boba Fett. And he starts a spirit journey. And in the spirit journey, we see him walking through the desert in a storm which is both a sandstorm and a storm of the ocean. And we see images from his past, like him in his armor. He finds a tree and the tree starts to swallow him. And he's fighting the, limb, the limbs as these like red eyes come out watching him. And the limbs then turn into a sarlacc pit. And then he gets wrapped up in the trees and we see visions of young Bobo waiting for Django to come back after Django leaves him. And we slowly but surely see his rebirth in the sands of Tatooine as he breaks out of the Sarlacc pit. And as he breaks out of the Sarlacc pit, he breaks off a branch of the tree. And that's the end of his vision quest. So Boba comes back to the Tuscans and he's just like, Hey guys, 
somehow in the desert, I found a tree, and here's the branch. And they're like, oh, cool. And the, the leader holds out the little basket, and the lizard literally crawls out of his nose. And it's gross. But I love it. I love it so much. And jumps back in this little its little cage, and the lizard's like, hi, Dad, I'm back. And he's like, good, lizard, you did your work. And, and Boba's like, that was all strange. What am I going to do with this tree branch now? And the warrior comes over, and the warrior's like, you ready for some really gorgeous visual storytelling and no jokes from here because it's actually really beautiful? And Boba's like, fuck yeah. So the Tuscans lead him into the tent and they dress him in the robes of their people. And thank God, okay, one joke. Thank God the onesie is gone and rest in peace onesie, you're gross and I'm glad you're gone, but I also love you. And he is now officially part of their tribe. And then the Tuscan boy comes over and he leads him to the warrior. And a very beautiful scene. She shows him um, with their gacky stick expert how to make his own gacky stick. And it's the one that he has in the Mandalorian. And it's a very long scene, but it's also really gorgeous because it shows each meticulous step. It's really great. And when he's done, he presents the gacky stick to the warrior and she shows her approval. That night... Boba Fett returns to his Tuscan friends and they gather around a fire and he presents his gappy stick to the tribe and to the chief and they all approve and with the warrior he starts to dance around the fire and one by one the other Tuscans join him in the celebration of their victory. The end. I love the lizard but also it's gross but I love it. <laughs> uh, what's part what, what's really great about the lizard is it's obviously a CGI lizard but why I love Tamura Morrison is he's a great physical actor and like he really like the way he screws up his face is the way someone screws up their face when something's going up your nose or you know that that that, that just like it's it's just great physical acting that that gives the CGI an extra layer of reality you know even though it's a it's a surreal scene because and speaking of like native american stuff and and something i forgot to mention when we were talking about like uh did you know that loki in norse mythology was sometimes called loki skywalker or loki the skywalker or just the skywalker oh interesting no i did not know that yeah. But this this part reminds me of the Carlos Castaneda best-selling book of books of Don Juan that uh, that he wrote. There were a whole series of books that he was supposedly a, a real ethnologist, and he went to study with this Indian medicine man named Don Juan, who like you know fed him psychedelic, but he was turning into crows and fighting witches and stuff, and and. It, you know, I mean, it had been, he presented it as not, it was in the nonfiction section for a while, and I think it got changed into fiction or into like the religion section because he presented it as like, the, no, this is like my journals of what happened. And people are like, well, this is really just sort of a, a very witty way of weaving all the, you know, because there's so many different tribes and, different methods of, you know, Indian, you know, medicine men and witch doctory 
that it was sort of just a way of presenting it all in one bundle and stuff. And he'd be like, oh, no, no, no. But the the whole thing with the with the lizard and he'll guide you from within and a lizard crawling up in the nose and the and blowing the spice in his face and then off to the tree is re- like the way it's presented is really right out of a Carlos Castaneda book. And it's I mean, I, I'm here for it. That's the first psychedelic. It's well, there was a little bit of psychedelic Star Wars with the, you know, with some of the force stuff in uh especially in you know with the like the brother and the sister and the the father and and some of the rebel stuff but this was the first pure like somebody's taking a psychedelic trip on the only other drugs really in in star wars were death a mention of death sticks you know and spice actually but like yeah you never saw anybody doing the spice so I, I, I love that. I, I, I it, it, and it also reminds me of the Simpsons when Homer goes on his spirit journey and Johnny Cash is talking to him through the thought, you know, find your soulmate, Homer. Um, yeah. uh, the second we have our second montage in, in an episode and it's also an awesome montage. And yes, it, I, I, like I've seen people making stuff like this and it's very like, yeah, it's once again, it feels more authentic than the usual montage of like making his stick, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's great. And my o- only other note is lots of nodding and not nodding like, yes, nodding, but nodding of like, yes, I approve, you know, that, that there's a lot of just like people looking at each other and going, Hmm. Yes. Yeah, but I don't. I definitely don't mind that because it's also well, no, they, they mean, have they have a language it, barrier. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. It, with the language barrier, I just I just noted it. I'm just noted noting. There's a lot of like people just looking at Boba Fett and going like, you know, <laughs> that'll do, pig. That'll do. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all I got for Act Three. Um. This is actually my least amount of notes, and they're all kind of somewhat meaty, other yeah, than I love the I lizard. I can see that. <laughs> other than I love the lizard. <laughs> I think it's great. Um, I also love his reaction to the lizard, because I th- also thought that was very realistic of, oh, a lizard? Thank you. And it's not even like a weird space lizard. It's just a little lizard. So I think I think that's extra tricky of them to like make it look like an earth lizard because he's just sort of like, oh, look, a happy little lizard, you know. And then it crawls up his nose. It <laughs> just like, oh, leaps, it leaps right into his nose. Basically, it just goes swank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, my first note um, is I love the scene after they stop the train. So like the Tuscans are raiding it and they have all the pikes around, but it's how Boba presents himself. He is sitting on a box the exact same way he sits on the throne of Tatooine. He is dirty. He's in his little onesie and he still sits like a king and addresses them from a point of power. And I like that because it's a nice preview of who who he will become. Yeah, the very way he rem- motions people over and you know to talk. How he like the, the line where his- he's like, "Are you going to kill us?" And he's like, "That's depend depends on how you answer these questions." 
Yeah, like how he just holds out his hand to take the melon. Like, he just sits in a place of power. And it, it actually reminds me more of the final shot of season two of The Mandalorian after he's killed Bip Fortuna um, and when he takes the seat. Um, I really like that because it's just a nice preview of where he will go. <sighs> okay, here's my last note about the killing of the Tuscans in this episode. Um, again, I hate it. But... There is writing foreshadowing that I will point out that works on the structure of the show because he specifically tells mm-hmm. the Pikes that if there are any deaths to the Tuskins at the hands of the Pikes, they will have revenge come back to them tenfold. And that's yeah, exactly I, what, what happens. I picked um, up on that the second time. Yep. I was just like, oh, yeah. That's exactly what happens. He gets his revenge on the Pikes because that is the finale. And it he wipes every single one of them out with like with the help of his family and his new tribe um, that he creates over the course of the show. So um, it is a nice piece of foreshadowing because it is exactly what happens in the show. Um, one thing I do really love about Book of Boba Fett is it's not afraid to be experimental. Um, Boba has an entire spirit journey because of a lizard going up his nose. <laughs> but it's some really awesome visuals like it doesn't explain everything but you can piece together the stories like we are seeing flashbacks of who he used to be and we're seeing a glimpse of that dying and him being reborns in the sand pits of the sarlacc and it's very symbol like it has a lot of symbolism of death and rebirth and who he is as a new person and that entire scene reminded me a lot of how clone wars did stuff like this in a lot of ways um, not exactly in like a spirit trip. Actually, it reminds me a lot more of Tartakovsky's Clone Wars, to be honest. Yeah. And that's part of the yes. reason why I wanted to read that clip from Jordan. Um, re- read that line from Jordan because it is very, rem- it's more reminiscent of Tartakovsky's Clone Wars in a lot of ways. Um, but I-, I like that about Boba Fett. It's not afraid to like drop a lizard induced spirit journey in the middle of the show. And I am always here for a show to take big swings I- like this. I- I blame it on the I blame a lot of this and a lot of what might be the weaknesses of the second part on it to the involvement of Robert Rodriguez. He's he's loose and fast and has fun, you know, with with stuff. So he's not afraid to be cheesy and maybe a little too cheesy. You know, if you've ever seen any Spy Kids movies. Oh, you don't know. you dare just Spike it. They're great. I'm not saying it. I, the Spy Kids movies are great. I saw Spy Kids 3D in the, in the theater. Um, so. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but I mean, he's that kind of director. And usually it, he's, it seems he's being reined in a little less than he he normally would be involved in a production like this. He, it seems like he gets to put a lot of, even if he's not directing the episode, he's like one of the producers, you know, he's definitely like sort of one of the creative forces behind it. And it shows, you know, it, yeah. it has that feel of like, you know, it has, there's a lot of, there's a lot of why the hell not in this, you know, oh, why the hell yeah. not? Let's see how it goes. Yeah. It took for and- better or worse. And I, had a, and I wish more Star Wars shows did that. Like, that's part of the reason, and I, I keep bringing it up, that's part of the reason why I love Resistance. Because they do a lot of why the hell not. Let's just do I'm, it. I'm very surprised after the the sequel trilogy 
that it's so that the and then the Mandalorian coming along that it's so soon after the, you know after two seasons of the Mandalorian you got Book of Boba Fett going now ah, why the hell not let's try it out so that's that yeah. was a little sooner than I thought that was going to happen so I'm kind of happy about that and Andor is also I was another, about like, to, I was another like to... it's like here's something completely different here's a different totally different vibe altogether you know and yeah and not and not trying to be anything else you know it's just sort of doing its thing and it seems to be going well so yeah i i was about to bring up andor too because um i am all here for star wars trying new things i'm one of my assignments this week for Dorkside actually is writing about how i wish uh star wars play with more genres and i think we're starting to see a lot more of that um, I'm very intrigued by Skeleton Crew, um, whenever that show comes out, because it sounds a lot like Strange, it's, it's been described as Stranger Things, but for Star Wars, and that's very intriguing to me, um, I, and I, I'm kind of interested by that concept, um, and so I kind of like that these shows, like, like, Obi-Wan, I, I'm not really counting Obi-Wan in this, because it was telling a very specific kind of story that was very drenched in the prequels, which I, I'm totally okay with, um, but comparing it to other stuff, like, I love Bad Batch, but it's very safe. I've talked about that before. I feel like it's a very safe show. And I, even though I loved rewatching season one, I still feel like it's a very safe show. Um, but I I like Who knows? It could just be that season's, it could be that, you know, that was a very, yeah. at, the, at the end of it, we'll go like, well, that was a safe season. Yeah, of, it was the season one. Um, and and I'm hoping for that. I'm hoping it goes off in like a rebels direction where it's just like, let's go crazy. Like I'm, I want that. Um, but I like seeing these projects taking more risks like book of Boba Fett and or so far four episodes. in. I'm intrigued by what skeleton crew is, but also star Wars visions. Like it's not Canon, but they did something crazy and new and fresh with star Wars with visions. And it makes me really excited for season two. Um, so I, I really like this direction and I hope, more see i think like, i think oh go ahead uh, i was just gonna say for all of book of boba fett's like downfalls i will always price it for taking big swings and being experimental and trying new yeah. things like that's one of yeah. the things i do really love about the show see i think book of boba fett did experimental things but andor is just sort of experimental by its just existence and the way it's it's gonna tell its story so you know the 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 actual like how it's playing out isn't isn't like experimental in the in how you see it on the screen but just the fact that it's playing out the way it does is very strange for star wars so i agree with that yeah um and my only other note i have is kind of a reflection on this episode the first time i watched this episode i loved it I love this episode in a vacuum. I think it's beautiful. I think it's powerful. I think it's groundbreaking. I think it's doing a ton of amazing new things. I love so much about this episode. On the second viewing, knowing what happens next week to the Tuscans, if it's not clear, it totally dampened my enjoyment of this episode, which is weird for me because that so rarely happens. Um, and I'm not used to being in a point where knowing the plot in hindsight, affects my viewing of such yeah. a high point of the season. And 
But I can see the same thing happening with a book, like on a reread of a book. I I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It might be in this case because it's accompanied by like weak writing. But yeah, but that that happens sometimes. It's like it's like the your first viewing of uh, Fight Club and your second viewing of Fight Club might not be the same and might not be something like like, the Sixth Sense. Like once you know the twist, it changes the concept of the movie. Right, then, you're watching it in a different way, so that, yeah. Yeah, and, like, I can see and understand all the setup for later episodes, and I understand the episode structurally now, because I can see it in the concept of the whole, I, I can see it in the context of the whole. I understand its place in the context of the whole, but it, it did. My, my viewing of this episode did change, like, knowing what happens next week, and... And it's a, I, I don't know how, like, I don't really have a point, but I'm just saying that it's interesting because usually for me, yeah. it's the other way around. Well, I'm going to, I have more critiques of, there's, I have some, like, you know, um, there's, there's a little bit of, you know, the Bo- Boba Fett being like, you know, the outs, the civilized outsider, he sort of takes him over, you know, he's sort of like you know hey i'll show you how to you know i'll 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 show you how to do this you know the little of the and there's and there's a little bit of the noble savage to it where like they have the conversation with him and they say well you know there's other tuscan tribes they they took the path of being you know straight up murderers and killing people and we decided not to take that path, making them, you know, giving them a little say, saying these guys are different than the other Tuscans who might be more bloodthirsty than these guys. But then again, that what that might be what all the Tuscans say about all the other Tuscan tribes, you know. Yeah, that, like that, that sort of thing. That sort of thing. But they're they 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 did sort of go out of their way to be like, oh, these Tuscans are a little nicer than the other, you know, he found the nicest Tuscan tribe, you know, there's a little, it it, it romanticizes them a little bit, you know, instead of being like, the other other ones will just slit somebody's throat, no problem, you know. Exactly, which is why I wanted to read that. And that's part of exactly like why I wanted to read that context from Jordan, because that's essentially like what he said. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, and that's definitely the reason why I wanted to phrase it that way, because I wanted it to come from somebody who was actually Native American and has that kind of insight and everything. But yeah, it, it, I don't know. It was interesting because, you know, I was dreading going into the second season of Mandalorian and I loved my second rewatch of it. I loved it. I had right. the best time. So it was just weird to kind of have the opposite happen to me um, because it's so rare. It, yeah. I have a feeling that there's going to be some swings all over the place with this oh, there's going to be some stuff that i might not have liked the first time that i'm going to really like this time and stuff that i like thought was fine the other that i'm going to be going like ee. <laughs> so yeah. we'll see we'll see there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity for that coming up mm-hmm. but that's all i have for this episode did you have anything else i do not all right chris score up the episode for me i gave it a nine I probably would have given it a 9.5, but it just didn't hit me as much as the first episode, even though it had like my favorite thing in all of the Book of Boba Fett with that goddamn 
conductor robot. But uh, it's it, it's yeah, it's just you know as a structured piece of of storytelling, moi, and it's a a nice compliment to the the first episode. You know they 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 really go together as a as a little little bookends of each other, and uh, I really liked it. Um, I got, if you would have got me after my first healing, I probably would have given this like a nine or a 9.5. Um, cause in, like I said, in a vacuum, right. in a vacuum, I love this episode. I think it's one of the highest points of Star Wars ever made. I think it's groundbreaking and amazing and insane, but in the context of the bigger story, it's really hard for me to love it. Um, when I know what's going to happen next. So I don't want to discredit it in the context too much. So I give it an eight out of ten. I, I still feel like that's a a, a pretty high praise. Yeah, for it. I, I, you make it sound like you're gonna get a, give it a five, but Nate's pretty good. Score it's for really it, good so. Star Wars. Um, but I just don't like it in the context of the whole. But I I don't want to, I don't want to downplay how incredibly groundbreaking this episode is, and what a fantastic, beautiful, powerful episode it is as well, because it really is. Um. As always, we would love to hear your feedback on iTunes, Twitter, or on our Two True Freaks Facebook page. I'm so excited for this this comment. Oh boy, here we go, Hope. When I, when I saw it, Hope's I was like, ready for, yes! Hope's ready for this one. Oh yes, I was telling Chris about it beforehand. This week, our com our feedback comes from our Mandalorian episode, The Siege, from our friend Diego Lemos. Diego Lemos says, it is surprising that someone was in one of the biggest franchises on the planet and at the doors of getting their own spinoff only to then tank their career for not being able to shut up about their BS. It is magical, really. It is so magical. Like, how do you, why do you do that, bro? Is it really that important? Have fun in your Ben Shapiro movie. I mean... <laughs> Here, here's the thing about it is like, all right, you know, I mean, she's got her, she's got her opinions on on stuff. You uh, and and Diego mentions she's joined one of the biggest franchises on the planet. She's also joined what? Where? Oh, what was that company? Oh, Walt Walt Disney Corporation. Mm -hmm. She's joined Walt Disney Corporation. Whether she, whatever, whatever it was she was involved with, if it's Walt Disney Corporation, you know, you just have to think to your, like, I mean, if I got a job with Walt Disney Corporation where it was like that, that level of, you know, I'm sure I could get a job working at a, a, uh, you know, any ground level job in Disney World, you know, like at a kiosk or whatever, and they're not going to dig into my, you know, dig too deep into like my Internet history or whatever, my my opinions on on politics or life. But when you're acting or doing all that, a you're probably signing a million contracts saying like, look, <coughs> is there anything we need to know about? And if so, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, uh, you know, if you do anything that, you know, we don't like, that could be the end of every, you know, you and 100% you're doing that. But even if you're not doing that or you're not even aware of what you're, you, everybody knows 
it's Walt Disney. So, like, if you said something sketchy in your past, you can still go like, hey, you know, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. But you gotta get ahead. You gotta get ahead. You gotta get ahead of it, and then you don't. I mean, double down. I'm gonna cut it for for a second because that's exactly what happened to James Gunn, and he lost very bravely the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, and you know, like, and then he got it back because he proved that he was, you know, he apologized and and he's working to change. No, this bitch doubled down. they, They dug up from him. It was also something dug up from the past. She was doing on she was doing on ongoing stuff. You know, she was she was she was adding adding to the adding to anything, you know. You you can't say, oh, I've grown since then if you're saying the same stuff now and uh, you know, or whatever. And and also you're in America, you have the right to do that, but you're also you're working for Walt Disney, which is not America. It's a cor- it's a corporation. You're they will they will, as any corporation, but Walt Disney, especially since it's with its association with children, will not, you know, they just, they, they won't, they, 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 they're not going to be caught going like, why do you, why, why do you support what this actress says in your show? You know, if there's anything that they don't want to support in the slightest way, and she went beyond the level of, you know, normal, like just flub up or, or, you know, or maybe be live, living a crazy lifestyle or something. She was, you know, she was, she was hitting stuff that there's just no way anybody in a Disney boardroom is going to say like, yeah, are, are we going to defend this? You know? So how do you not see that coming? I, I, I'm, I'm partially of the opinion that it could very well have been, the the stupidest trying to like get publicity you know or you know start a career from a a you know you know i got as a martyr of some sort or something but it's i mean the problem is like we're i mean you're in disney and star wars what are you trying to go up to by causing scandal or whatever you're not <laughs> so I I don't know exactly how she didn't think it was I don't know naivete being dumb as a rock. I, I little don't this know. little of that little of column A little of column B I don't know, but like I mean I just have I I have no no place to find any footing to feel sorry for her at all you know. Yeah, uh, that's, I that's I, I should ju- I should let you know I just tweeted the most on brand thing for me because as you were talking about that I was half listening because I was typing I apologize for the next month of podcast anyone who has listened to Jay guys the last eight plus years know that I'm insufferable and distracted through podcast because of October baseball and this is just part of who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I was only half listening to you because I was tweeting about baseball. <laughs> Yeah, you listen to this. Listen to oh, this I'm so excited for this. I wanted to eat this like first, like months ago, and I gotta cut mine Just open. Just pretend they're little, they're they're little baseballs. I hope they're mine are still good. They smell good. So if you don't know are what we're ki- doing, are you kidding me? I'm just reading the description of them, and oh, ho, 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 they smell good. 
So if you don't know what we're doing, um, I think this is the right one. Um, Chris hates American Kit Kats because he's a weirdo. And so our friend Dario, who is Chris's co-podcaster for Eat and Beat It, sends us candy from all over the world to review. And these are Kit Kat hazelnut puff balls from France. I took I've one been... sniff and my stomach literally went... Oh my god, they're so fucking good. Holy shit. Oh, wow. This was the first thing I noticed in the package, and, like, this is the last of our candy. Like, we've gone through these all are, the other candy. These are better than I was anticipating, and I was anticipating them being really good. Oh, know, my right? God. Oh. What and, a like, textural wonder. And, like, Dario, like, like, um, uh, mm. what is this? It's not a zip bag. Like, um, vacuum sealed them for us, mm-hmm. so they're still fresh. I was so afraid these would be bad because they're like literally the last candy in the package. We're out of candy currently. They didn't the way they were vacuum sealed, but I've had mine in the freezer. I have and not. That's why I was fa- scared. It's fall, and I'm afraid like maybe in the summer or whatever. But I was like, these could be in one big glob, or they could just be in a glob, and then as soon as the pressure's off them, they could fall to dust. But nope, they have totally retained. Not only their freshness, but their shape and their and their stability and their oh integrity god. and their this delicious. Is so good, Dario! Oh my god! Mm, good job, they, France. They have all the all the textures of biting into a Kit Kat, but they're somehow a little poofier and lighter. Sort of mm. like those Ferrero Rocher. I think there's candies. like crispies. I think there's crispies in the chocolate. Mm-hmm. There it's definitely okay. are. There's a They've got a little Rice Krispies treat to them. Mm-hmm. They're eviler than a Kit Kat, though, because they're as little balls. It's just like I can, I, I, I'm, I'm I told my roommate she could have a lot, a lot of these, so, but I can mm-hmm. polish these off. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Ooh, I got well, a big one that's like sort of Easter egg shaped inside, like a double sized one. Mm. Holy shit, these are so good. I need to not eat these all in one sitting, because I will. Mm. Thank you, Simply Dario. Simply amazing. Mm. Excellent. That was, we we picked the right one to, to top off that batch with. Mm. These were the ones I wanted to do the first. Like, I've been staring mm. at these for months. Mm. Mm. All right. I need to, like, somehow. Damn, these are good. Mm. I don't have a clippy on me. All my clippies are in the next room. Okay, so we're gonna have to I like. I think this. they had layers, and now I'm looking at one where the chocolate fell off, and it actually has layers in it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh. I put these right here, so Good I can lordy. then go put that in the fridge now that it's open. Oh man, that was so good. Mm. All right. Well, do you have anything else about this episode? I do not. All right, Chris. Where can people find you? You can find me at twotruefreaks.com. That is our Two True Freaks website, where we have all our podcasts in all their different categories, and all the new podcasts go up. Virtually every day, a new podcast is going up, if not more than one every day, including this one that goes up Tuesdays at midnight. So every Wednesday, you got fresh J Guys and Jedi, unless I like fall asleep and forget, and then you'll get it sometime Wednesday. And you can also go to Facebook. And um, 
Um, we're we're already now fighting over whether we should we should exist in the metaverse or not. I'm saying no. No two true freaks metaverse. Are you fucking serious? So you serious? can go to Facebook. I'm lying. Okay. Um, I was about to say, <laughs> who, who in the cantina do I need to like throw down with? Because hell no. No, no metaverse. But I'm just. Oh, my candy fell. And uh, but oh, anyway, on Facebook, the Two True Freaks podcast, <laughs> the Two True for Timber, the Two True Freaks podcast page. We are also have the Two True Freaks cantina there, where you can hang out. It's a group you can join and uh, hang out and chit chat. And we are also on Twitter, and uh, and uh, our Twitter is run by the, the Gene, the survivor Hendrix, who has who has survived Hurricane Ian. We're so happy about that. I'm glad you're okay, Gene. I am glad you're okay, Gene. Yep, Sunday he was recording audio audio drama, so. Uh, so I'm gonna pick my candy up off the floor. Uh, well, uh, where can they find you, Hope? Like, like really, like seeing like the images coming out of Fort Myers. Like, I'm really glad you're okay, Jane. I was worried about you. Um, one thing I thought about Fort Myers is I was like, there's a lot of trailers in Fort Myers, and it's just like when you've seen that water, it's just like holy cow. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, like it was no joke. Um. I, I was scared too. Like my my family lives just north of Tampa, so like when they were originally in the bullseye, I, it was very scary. Like my mom, my stepdad, three of my sisters, my brother, and like a good chunk of my nieces and my nephews, and like my brother-in-laws and stuff, like live in that area. So that it was a really yeah. scary like few days for my, my family. roommate's parents lived right in the neighborhood that of one of the places they were showing in the news where it was going up to the second story balconies. And she told them, like, you guys got to move. They did move out of there, too. She's like, you guys got to move out of here. 20 years from now, it's going to be, like, underwater. And that was, like, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So, on a happier note, uh, you can find us at Jedi on Twitter. You can also find me at Hope Molinax on Twitter. I am also a contributor for Dork Side of the Force, where I've been doing a lot of writing on Andor. Uh, this week I'm going to be talking about genres, and also it's Pride History Month, so I have a couple things in my brain for Pride History Month as well for, for Star Wars over there. Um, also, as of this week, it's coming out on Thursday, so it's definitely out by now, is the first episode of For Light and Dice, which is an amazing project that I'm a part of with some really stellar people. I am joined by our brave DM Chris from Darkside Divas. Charles from Gold Watching Gaze, who is also a listener to the show, so hello, Charles. Also, Jess from RuPalp's Pod Rays, Nathan and Colton, who are two of our contributors as well, and they are both amazing. Um, and we have a really good time because For Light and Dice is a Star Wars real play tabletop podcast set in the High Republic. And we all have amazing characters, and I'm so excited about this adventure. We're recording the second session on Sunday. I can't wait for it. I'm so excited about this project. Please go check it out. It's definitely out by now because it's coming out Thursday when we're recording this. It's definitely out by now. I can't wait for you guys to hear it and hear Gaz and my poor little retail Gazo who is in way over her head and gets everybody in trouble and she's probably going to have a massive anxiety guilt trip breakdown at some point and I can't wait for it. Yay! Excellent. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, go check out for Light Spoilers. and Dice, guys. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> I realized I got everybody in trouble and it was all my fault. And I'm like, this is going to be fun to play later when this anxiety comes up. <laughs> sort of like Boba Fett and the Tuscans. Well, it's kind of, sort of. It's if you take a sales associate out of a target and put her in space and tell her to go fight space pirates. Good luck, everyone. <laughs> it's that kind of show. and we Good luck, we, space pirates. <laughs> and I, I won't that's what, spoil... That's what my... That's what my TV trailer line would be like. <laughs> she's a retail clerk. Now she's in space. Watch out, space pirates. Yeah, um, and I won't spoil you whether or not we actually kill a Gungan. So anyway, go check out For Light and Dice. I'm very excited about it. I know so, you killed it. I can't say anything. So anyway, yeah, uh, so much. I was about to say, where can people find you, Chris? But we already did this part. We so. Yeah. So come back next week, you guys, because we are going to be talking about episode three of Book of Boba Fett, The Streets of Moss Espa. Which Hope's I will probably... gonna get pissed again. <laughs> I, I am not excited about next week's episode. Thankfully, it's a very short runtime. It's only like 37 minutes, and five minutes of that is like in credits in the opening scene. Like the opening, like, reeve, like, flash, like, mm -hmm. Last Star week on Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. yeah, that's like five minutes of it. So I only have to suffer through 32 minutes. Unlike this week, which was almost 60 minutes long. That's Good why course. you're salty. It's so long. Oh, Shorter God. episodes, Book of Boba Fett. Come on. Keep this, uh, no, I actually this don't mind guys it. and Jedi streamlined. I don't mind it, actually, because one of my criticisms is Boba Fett needs like one or two more episodes. <laughs> so yeah. I actually don't okay, mind it, <laughs> except for next week, which I'm glad it's going to all right, you guys, come back next week for the streets of Moss whatever, because I really don't care what town they're in. Yay! Bye! Bye-bye. <laughs> I don't. I don't give a shit. <laughs>visit our website at two truefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T W O T R U E F R E A K S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at two truefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two, Two True, True Freaks. Freaks.